everybody, and welcome to Completely Needles. I am one half of the hosting staff, Ian Boothby. I am the second half of the hosting staff, David Dedrick. If you have any problems, please just come and see either of us, and I hope you enjoy the rest of this podcast. Um, we are talking today about the album Help, as well as the single Z. Singles? Z. Well, the singles Help and Ticket to Ride, more the B-sides, which were off off album tracks. Right. Now, um, in past episodes, I've mentioned how the Beatles, at this point in their careers, and earlier on, uh, could not release an album that did not have an Abbott and Costello-type routine Yes, uh, that would be performed when asking for said album from record store clerk. Mm -hmm. And in this case, it would be them going up and going, I want help. And okay, the, can, uh, well, uh, can, I, can I help you, sir? Yes, uh, I, I'd like help. I'm here to help you? Yeah, I, would, I, I want help. I'm here to help I'm you. I'm looking for help. I'm happy to help you, sir. I'm, I'm out of here. <laughs> and so on. So basically the Beatles really enjoyed making it difficult for teenagers to order. Or yeah. they liked old-timey comedy routines. That's right, yes. I think the latter more than the former. Yeah, probably. Now, um, now are we going to do the, the, uh, the B-sides first or are we going to do the album first? Let's do the album first. Sounds good. Uh, Dave is nothing if not chronological. <laughs> That's true. I age in time. Does that make sense? <laughs> yes. I age chronologically. That's right. Each day passes one after the other. That's that's exactly how it works. Yeah. Dave, of course, is on the Gregorian calendar, and uh, <laughs> I'm on Chinese New Year calendar. So everybody, <laughs> gung hei fat choy. You're on the Jacobian calendar. I am. I'm in the year 4,712. <laughs> because as they say, Chinese Jesus died a long, <laughs> long time before the other one. That's what they say. Yeah. All right, moving on to the B-sides. Go. No, the album. Oh, we're doing the album we're first. Doing the album first oh, yeah. for crying out loud! I completely misheard how this was going to go. <laughs> All right, let's go through the album then, my we'll friend. Go through the album. I mean, because the singles were both drawn from the album, mm -hmm. and although I guess they came out before the album did, I just feel like if we're going to do it song by song, which you probably have it in order on your sure. in your notes as song by song, so mm -hmm. we'll do it that way. We'll do it that way. You know what? Every time, Dave, you put it in a crazy new order, and you know what? <laughs> I roll with it. You roll with and it. That's what I'm doing. Okay, I'm just going to straighten out my microphone, so this is going to make a clunking sound, okay. which I may cut out unless you talk over it. Okay. Hey, Dave, what's new? <laughs> there we go. There we go. All right. Sorry, everybody. Sorry about that noise. Okay. We're nothing if not professional. We're nothing. We had the choice. What yep. you meant was we're nothing. We had the choice. We could either be professional or chronological. Yes. We made our choice and we're sticking to <laughs> we're it. We're sticking to it. We do each show one after the other. There's going to be no flashbacks in this show at mm -hmm. all. Nope. We will be talking about an album from the past. Yeah. But it exists still in the present, so that's okay. Yeah. Anyway. So, help. What's what's wrong, Dave? Uh, <laughs> all right. We're going to stop that business. <laughs> so. The album is called Help. Now the album was is the album uh, based on the movie help did they the movie come first and they did the album how did it go Well the album was yeah the album was conceived as a, as the soundtrack for the film so they knew that they were going to be making a film at this time it was just called Beatles Movie 2 <laughs> Then it was given Audience 0 And then it was given the uh, title uh 8 Arms to Hold You Okay. And then later on, it was named Help. If it but was at this time, I'm gonna just say, if it was called Eight Arms to Hold You, that mm -hmm. Octopus's Garden song that comes along later would have been a it, good choice. It would have been perfect yeah. if only they could have thought of that song at the time. Because well, we'll talk about it a little but, bit but later. We'll Dave, talk about it. In the order. Beatles are nothing if not chronological. They will not put their they will later not. songs That's on right. their earlier albums. They won't put songs from 1969 on albums from 1965. They won't do it. They can't. They can't do it. They won't, they won't do, do it. it. Yeah. All right. I meant they can't do it in the sense that they refuse to do it. Good for them. Like it's just, um, you know, just like moral certitude. Absolutely refused. They could have done it. They're the Beatles. They could do anything. Oh, absolutely. We, uh, Paul McCartney it. could have put Queenie Eye on this one, but he, he did could. not. No, he did not. All right. Please continue. <laughs> so, so we have that. We have them recording a new album. So, 
I mean, we'll talk about during the, the sort of interesting part of this to me is it's kind of helped marks a new phase in how the Beatles recorded. So before we had them starting with their first two albums, which recorded basically on two track, live off the floor with uh, minimal overdubbing or anything, any other kind of changes, particularly in the first album, which was basically just done live off the floor with no changes. So for help, though, what they did was um, they... It sort of marks, it doesn't mark just a new phase in the recording, but it marks a new phase in the Beatles career because they actually started to phase out of, you know, recording, uh, or not recording, but of performing live. Mm. Like this is when they kind of, it started to kind of pall on them and it started to turn, you know, and that's, so the milk had curdled by this time, you know, and they're pretty much sick and depressed of the whole touring well, they couldn't, rigmarole. Well, you couldn't be hurt when they were performing, right? No, I mean, that's that was right. The problem. Like that's right. You were no longer performing. You were now just a thing that people would go and scream at. Yeah. Exactly. You were the wailing wall, basically. <laughs> so, so the, yeah, so they were moving away from public performance and more into a sort of concentrating on recording mm-hmm. and perfecting that and, you know, bringing on, bringing new, you know, their idea of newness to that. Cause there's nothing the Beatles weren't, or there's nothing the Beatles, like, it's terrible when you start doing double negatives. So I should mm-hmm. say the Beatles were everything about, you know, new and modern and exploring and pioneering, you know, so, so at this time they, they adopted a couple of new recording techniques. One, they would rehearse songs in the studio with the tapes running. And then when they felt they had it, uh, as, you know, as pretty close to good, pretty close to perfect, they would actually rewind the tapes and then record over the rehearsals with the actual numbered tracks. Oh, wow. Okay. So what that did was, you know, instead of having like 27 takes, there's maybe one or two takes and then that would be the one or two takes would be the basic track. Yeah. And then they would, um, add, then they would start dropping in all the, the extra instrumentation on top of now, that. Now, whose idea was this? Was it, is it credited to? I don't think it's credited to anyone. I think it's just kind of how it evolved for them. Like, and was what was else, most efficient? Was anyone else doing this, uh, this thing, uh, at that time? Or I don't know. I don't, it's possible in America that they were. I don't think that, um, because multi-track was really new in England, and so I don't think people had had started pioneering different methods of working with it. And I think what the Beatles did was that work it, it arose out of their out of necessity. You know, they had to do this really fast, yeah, because they were running into the studio off tour. They had maybe a week to record, and then they were off again to do something different. Right. And so because of the the narrowness of time, they're bringing in songs that might not be completely completed. They needed to rehearse them, but there was no point treating them as takes because they needed you know time to get it together and then you know once they felt like they had got it as close as they could to to good or great then they turn on the tapes and do takes you know and, and because they spent time working on it they didn't have to do a lot of takes yeah. and then they had a workable rhythm you know and, and one other track. question about the era that we're in right now mm-hmm. now is this after they've met bob dylan and has have yes. they introduced been yes. introduced to their friend uh mary jane yes they have because that happened during the recording of beatles for sale okay yeah now uh when i watched and we're not going to talk about the movie we might talk about the movie on a future episode but when i watched the movie it's basically a red eye express oh yeah like that is a very Definitely. pot 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 movie yes and uh in your opinion do you think like uh, marijuana influenced any the songs on this album or is that not hitting it yet because it doesn't feel no, no. totally like it yet to me like it's not fully i would say yes to marijuana okay and i'd say the later I'm not offering dave the later <laughs> albums the later albums have a different drug that influences them okay fair so enough. at this point cannabis is you know or grass whatever we call it is still influencing their wacky tobacco wacky, <laughs> wacky tobacco is still influencing a jazz cigarette you know because part of part of their new kind of 
you know, desire for new sounds and stuff like that came out of their, their, you know, experiment with, with, you know, things, things that change your perception. So what they were hearing when they were, you know, when they were thinking of their music, they wanted to try and reproduce in the studio. Mm -hmm. And so that brought in new effects and, and new, and new ways of, of trying to reach, you know, new, different kind of sounds and stuff like that, or add different instrumentation and things to make it slightly different, you know. Plus the fact that they were just inveterate explorers who love to change and every album is going to be different from mm -hmm. the Beatles. You're not going to get the same album from them. Mm -hmm. No matter how much you like that last album, the next album is not going to sound like it. You know, it might have trace elements of it, and you might have bits of the DNA from the last album, but it's going to be completely different. I wonder know? how much of their audience they lost each album and how much they gained. It's interesting that you say that because I remember reading a book by this uh, American author, and it was a book about his love of the Beatles when he was younger. But in this book, he says that when Rubber Soul came out, they, he the Beatles lost him. You know, he just, he didn't like the cover. He didn't like the way they looked on it. You know, it was all weird to him, you know, as a young teenager. Mm -hmm. And it just seemed different than what he grew up with, the Beatlemania Beatles, where suddenly these kind of stretched out, weird looking Beatles on this cover of Rubber Soul. And it just alienated him. And your, he stopped. Your, your source of comfort has become your source of new. Mm -hmm. And sometimes people want new and sometimes people want comfort. And uh, yeah. Well, it depends where you are in your journey, right? Yeah. Like when you're young, you want that newness. And then... That, that newness becomes comforting. And then when that comfort, yeah, you're right. Like when the Beatles constantly, you know, after, after Beatles for sale, you know, the changes really start to accelerate. Well, you go from She Loves You, Yeah, 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 to number nine, Revolution number nine, <laughs> in a very short period of time. Well, I would argue even more than that. To go from uh, Revolution, or sorry, to go from She Loves You to, to Eleanor Rigby mm -hmm. is huge. And that's only three years. Yeah. You know, that's pretty that, amazing. That's pretty amazing, yeah. yeah. Yeah, I can't think of any bands currently that that have made anything, you know, I don't want to say like the old timey was better than the <laughs> new timey, but I, in terms of just radical change mm -hmm. in style, I can't think of a modern band that's gone through as many changes sure. and, and growth as rapidly. Yeah, uh, but it, it's harder to pioneer those changes because we're we're not at the forefront of, of rock and roll we're not in the forefront of, of new studio recording techniques and things like that, that, that people before the Beatles didn't have, you know what I mean? And so when the Beatles started recording, there was all, these changes started coming in and they were able to take advantage of those. Mm -hmm. I mean, nowadays, you know, whoever prints, you know, with their 78 track recording console, you know, they can throw any amount of instrumentation on without even thinking about it. Well, it's fun. And again, we'll get to this as we get to this. But, you know, when the band broke up, and you heard uh, like John Lennon saying that he was just getting bored of it. Of course he was. Clearly, you look at that they the, the the amount of change they go through. They do not stick around with one no, thing for any no. extended period of time. No, they're so they, definitely they, fans they were, of the They new. were going to have to break up, or you know, they'd have to be start recording on the moon. You know, <laughs> one of those choices. All right, let's get on to the album then. Let's itself, go to the album then. Sure. For the and talk to these good people. So, uh, album once again, help. Uh, how how long between the album coming out and the movie coming out? Uh, would you say? Um, well, that's a good question. I think that the album and the movie came almost exactly the same time. All right. It was more the singles that kind of heralded that the, the album coming out. And one, and one so, thing I found, oh, sorry, go ahead, please. Oh, I was just going to say, so the Ticket to Ride, um, the single for Ticket to Ride, it came out, uh, in April. Mm -hmm. And then Help came out in August. The single Help came out in August. Or sorry, July. And then the, sorry, it came out in July. And then the album was released in August. Okay. So, and then I guess the movie came out about the same time because you wouldn't want them to be too too far apart from each other because you're basically their commercial tie-in, right? The album is selling the movie, and the movie selling the album. And, and there's beautiful songs, of course, in this 
in this album that we'll get to. Uh, uh, once again, we will talk about the movie in a future time. But the one thing I'd like to mention is if you if you watch the movie and you listen to the album, all right, say you listen to the album first, you would not expect the movie that you get. The movie that you get it doesn't seem in any way influenced by any of these songs or the things talked about in these mm-hmm. songs or anything that happens in these songs. Well, we it's can talk like, about it, it later. Go, it goes, it goes in its own yeah. wackamagadaki, you know, uh, way. Uh, but yeah, it's it's interesting to me. Like normally, when you have an album and then you have a, a, a film and they're connected, there'd be a connection. Doesn't seem to be a lot of connection. Well, that was them. definitely a, the problem the Beatles had with the Help film and Hard Day's Night to a degree, but more with Help was that they felt like they were guest stars in their own film. You know, that they weren't the stars of the film, that they were there as supporting actors, supporting a lot of, you know, great character actors, you know. Um, but like Victor Spinetti and Roy Kinnear and, and yeah. Eleanor uh, Braun, like, you know, really good and really good actors. But, you know, it's supposed to be a Beatles film. And yet they seem to be in most of the scenes. They're kind of running, hiding, And I'm going to say I'm going to say one flaw. Once again, we will get to the film later. But I'm going to say <laughs> one thing about the film, which is it's weird that you don't use the handsome guys as your lead. You don't use the handsome guys as your lead. You use the character guy, yeah. Ringo, yeah. as your lead. But then you have lots of other wacky character guys around. Too much character. Let's bring <laughs> the handsome up, fellas. We got some good looking. Let's put that in the forefront. Sure. Okay, now as to the album itself. Okay, well, so... Track uh, one. Track one. The album opens with the title song, just like Hard Day's Night did. Right. So we have Help and, with an exclamation uh, mark. Uh, damn, that's a good song. Like that is a it is a great song. That is a song. Like the Beatles open their albums with songs you can't ignore. <laughs> like you can't like sit back and go now. Yeah. Let's just hear this. You hear this for the first time and, and you start leaning forward. Mm-hmm. Like we've got a thing on our uh, Facebook page right now, which is the Beatles live at Blackpool, mm-hmm. and they're playing Help. And I believe for people, some people that have not heard this song before, and they just go nuts because yeah. it's it's an amazing song. Yeah, sure. It's also a great song for teenagers, you know, <laughs> because like you feel sure. that helplessness, mm-hmm. you feel that angst, you feel that. And I don't think there's ever been a song that kind of covers that. That I, I just need help, you know. It's yeah. uh, it's great. It's a great uh, it's a great start to an album. Wakes you up, gets you in. So help was written out like so. Uh, they when they recorded kind of like when they recorded Hard Day's Night, they recorded help in kind of two halves. So they recorded about 11 songs, mm-hmm. and then they left for the Bahamas to do some filming. And while they're in the Bahamas, maybe Richard Lester uh, acknowledged the fact that this film was just chaos and that <laughs> you know it was kind of out of his hands, out of his control. And so rather than being called Eight, Arm- Eight Arms to Hold You, the title was, given, was changed to Help, which actually the Beatles were happier with because a much better title. Eight Arms to Hold You is a hard song to write. And you know what? That doesn't fit on a marquee real good. <laughs> no. Like, you're lucky. You no. better have no double bills because we've run out of letters. Help is a much better title. It does sound like the attack of an octopus, too. It's creepy. It's either a spider or an octopus is all I'm thinking is like someone's going to be attacked by either. Oh, let me just say one more thing about the cover of it. Once again, uh, Robert Freeman. So he's done okay. quite a few albums now. And um, they, their actual semaphore doesn't spell out help. What does it spell out? It spells like, like R-U-J-V. <laughs> And the other one's slightly different, or N-U-J-V. Yeah. Uh, there's two different ones, because the capital, as they're holding their, their uh, some of her flags in different pattern than on the Parlophone, the British release. Mm-hmm. So there's two different spellings. Because when they did it as help, it looked terrible. Yeah. Like, the arms just look dumb. If like, the one is, like, up, all up, and, like, a clock, and it just doesn't look any good. Yeah, so. the village people learned from that when they did their YMCA, mm-hmm. and they actually did the damn letters. Uh, that'd be weird. If you were <laughs> they say, didn't use flags. If you were a high fellow, like, say you were a marijuana smoker, as we're talking about, okay. and your initials were JV, and you pick up help, and then you actually figure out the semaphore, and yeah. it asks, like, are you JV? Wow. That would creep you out, yeah. wouldn't it? Yeah. That would take you back a notch. <laughs> anyway. 
So what's what's interesting about this song though is that when Lennon wrote, so when they came back, they had a kind of assignment, write help. And so once again, just like on the hard days night, Lennon jumped to the chance to write the A side song. Yeah, locked you know, Paul in the bathroom. Locked Paul in the bathroom. <laughs> now Paul says he helped a little bit with the counter melody for the song, which is possible because they did do back and forth, mm-hmm. or not just back and forth, but they did kind of hand off to each other when they were, you know, st- stuck. But it was written by Lennon, and it was actually written once again, kind of like "Please Please Me" and "She Loves You" as a mid tempo ballad it was not ah. supposed to be a fast song so he's actually kind of resentful that the beatles made him speed it up for commercial considerations but you know kind of like with she loves you and please please me the arrangement that they created for it is absolutely fantastic like this is the rule the drum roll at the start of the song the coming with a help it's just you know perfect right oh, it's man. a great so and lennon described it as um as a cry for help. Like, it, it really is his first autobiographical song. Mm-hmm. Like, it's not a pastiche, like, I'm a loser, where, it, you know, he's kind of talking about himself, but he kind of hides behind the s- song craft. Like, help is really, really him. And he, he called it his fat Elvis period at this time. He was overweight. <laughs> he was, you know, when he wasn't sitting in, ho- in hotel rooms, he was sitting in his home in, Way- in Weybridge in England. And he, he just, like he said, I was depressed. I was fat, depressed, and I was crying for help. And so that kind of comes in the lyrics. So when you say it's a good song for teenagers, yes, it is, because lots of teenagers have that time in their life where they're locked in the room. Now, if you're, uh, if you're playing that, though, at uh, a uh, mid-level, like speed, mm-hmm. uh, I think that might get too depressing. It would certainly be a lot of it. It would certainly be a different song. It wouldn't be a single. Yeah, and they it, needed a single. It feels cleansing yeah. to say help that loudly and that boisterously. You know, which is a good, and also, you know, being a British person, you keep the emotions inside. Yeah, you don't, you don't say you're in trouble. Yeah. you know, uh, back then, especially if you're a teenager. Oh man, you don't do that. So good for them. Good for that song. So, and in keeping with the fact that now they're recording on four track, which gave them a lot more leeway. So when they were trying to pre- perform the song at first, the little doodle 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 the part that uh, George Harrison plays, um, actually was they attempted to do within the rhythm track when they were doing the original tracking. When oh, they were okay. doing the original track. But it was too difficult to play, so that was left off, and then they they overdubbed it later into one of the tracks. And also, what they did, this is, they um, so what they had were so lead and backing vocals recorded twice, and then bounced down to free up a track for the lead guitar part. And that was the first time that the Beatles actually bounced a track, which is when you, what happens is you take you take the tracks that you've done and you record them onto another recorder mm-hmm. through. Like through the mixing desk, you put them onto another four-track recorder, and then you create more tracks. So then you record your four tracks onto one track, and then you have three more tracks on top of that. Do you understand what I mean? Yeah, yeah, I'm getting. So it. now yeah. you have like it's kind of seven tracks in a way. Wow. Okay. And so you can't do it too often because because you're recording to a recorder, you'll ha- you'll have some hiss, you'll have some background noise because mm-hmm. of the machines make noise and it gets picked up by the machines. So if you do it too much, you'll end up with this and no sound at all. So wow, you could do it. Okay. You could do it once or twice. You could do that bounce down, but you can do it too often. So, but this was this help was the first time that the Beatles did it. You know, neat. Yeah. Okay. So, anything else on help? Are we moving on? No, nope, we can move on. We got other songs. Okay, we got a full show. <laughs> um, so the next uh, song we got there is uh, the, the night before. Yeah. Now um, they've record. All right, this is just my opinion, Dave. Mm-hmm. I'm going to tell you something. Sure. I think in this album, yeah, they have done the same song twice. Okay. Yeah. I think this song is done later on in the in the album yeah. at a different speed, yeah. and it's called Yesterday. Oh, really? So blatantly. Well, what is the night before, Dave? When does that take place? <laughs> oh, I thought you meant musically. No, I mean, I mean, I mean, like uh, referring to all the same stuff. It's like 
oh man, I remember uh, the past. That was better than now. Things uh, things were gr- great then. Really yeah. screwed things up. Mm-hmm. Yeah, literally, you have a song called The Night Before, and then you have a song called Yesterday. It's the same song. Musically, no, it's not the same song. But, you know, thematically and in every other way, yeah. you're hitting the exact same beat, just at a different speed. Mm-hmm. You do, But you can't do it at this one at a slow speed, because we're doing it, we're hitting you heavy. Like Yesterday is an amazing song, and again, we'll get to that later on. But uh, this one has to be a bit bouncy. You know, this is the more upbeat kind of, oh, dear. And yeah. the other one is like, oh, brother. Oh, <laughs> wow. Okay. Yikes. But anyway, this is, uh, if you like this song, you will very much enjoy Yesterday later on. This is the uh, amuse-bouche is, that will lead you into that one it's later. A pre- it's a preview of Yesterday. Yeah, pretty much. Okay. Well, I think it's an okay song. Actually, my feeling about Help is like a lot of people's complaints about Beatles for Sale. I actually would, would, I would actually pin on Help. Which is, I feel like there's a lot of songs that were written and recorded because they needed songs to be written and recorded for a movie, okay. not because they had like, oh, this is a great idea for a song. You know what I mean? Like, so basically what Paul McCartney did here is he took She's a Woman, or mm-hmm. he took She's a Woman, right? and he's changed it slightly. He's, instead of having that kind of reggae offbeat to it, you know, it just has a regular kind of up-tempo swing beat, but it's essentially the same as She's a Woman. And actually, it's essentially the same as Another Girl. Oh, so, all right. you know, he kind of yeah, hit this yeah. easy kind of writing patch. Yeah. And, you know, he kind of just sort of plows that. And this is a Paul? Fur- fur- yeah, this so is a Paul So Paul song. wrote both Yesterday and this one. Yes. And, uh, also, right. and also Another Girl. Okay. And She's a Woman. All right. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. No, I'm just mentioning because of both. Now, now, when they were writing these songs, uh, did they know what their movie was going to be? I They must have had a script of some sort or, or some sort of description Again, of what they were doing. Again, it just feels odd that all these – there's a lot of themes that are in this album that I would think, oh, this would make an interesting movie mm-hmm. that have nothing to do with a movie at all. Like it, it it almost feels like there was a script to a movie that then got abandoned about Love yeah. Lost because it's clearly this. It's clearly like an album about breaking up. It's a, It's an album about things were better before. Oh, I screwed up. Or uh, I love you, but uh, you know, and then and then you screw up, and then they're leaving. Like it's that really to me thematically is what this album's all about, and then that has nothing to do yeah, whatsoever I, with. I the, really don't think else. I really don't think the Beatles wrote to a script, wrote to any knowledge of anything the film was about. Okay, and that would be the same with Hard Day's Night. They just wrote songs that were then used in the film. Though that wasn't as bad because in Hard Day's Night, you just had them when they were playing their songs. It was pretty much. As a band playing songs, mm-hmm. so irrelevant mm-hmm. that you know you're yeah. just a band playing songs, you're yeah. fine. Uh, whereas they peppered the uh, the uh, film with these songs that had nothing to do well, with what most, was going really you, on screen. But if you think about the film, mostly they're playing the songs in a studio or recording setting, Ex- or they just cut or to a rock video, basically. Yeah, sometimes Ticket to Ride is done that All way. All of a sudden, they're like skiing down a hill, and now we're yeah. just seeing what would be an MTV video later on. Yeah, Ticket to Ride is like that. But I mean, um, you've got to hide your love away. They're playing. Helen or Braun in, in their in their house. Oh, hey, do you want to just move on to that song then? Sure, because we're to. right there. Sure. Yeah, let's go. You I, just wanna, I just want to add one thing: is that uh, on an, on uh, the night before, McCartney plays the guitar solo, but in the film, George Harrison mimes mimes it. So, oh, okay. Yeah. Well, there you go, George. All right. <laughs> so uh, you've got to hide your love away. Brilliant song. Now, is this song anything to do with say, like, oh, well, first of all, who wrote this song? This is a John Lennon song. You know what? That's would have been my guess because now <laughs> you got you got your John Lennon who basically is married. And has to pretend he's not married. Mm, mm. So has this possibly got anything to do with that? That you, well, I think uh, it's more complicated than that. I think because John Lennon was married. Had I think by this time it was probably known that he was married. But I, I think he was married but didn't want to be married. Mm. Was married to someone that he wasn't that compatible with. 
And so, and by the way, you're also being uh, having every woman in the universe uh, wanting you at this point. <laughs> Which, if you're in a good relationship, is fine, and you're fine. You're like, well, I got the person I want. But if you're in a, I don't know, then that can push things into mm, bad town. But I think Lennon was the sort of writer who could also r- write songs that weren't necessarily autobiographical and just write a song as a as a person as a character in no, a song. That's that's fair. It you just know. feels like this this would be mm-hmm. a song that. You know, almost any of the Beatles could relate to, and that none of the fans want to see them involved with somebody. They want to be the person who's involved. You know, they you buy into the fantasy. You know, they sing to you directly and go like, yeah. "Hey, girl, you're the one. I'm so lonely. Listen, I wish I had someone like you." And then you're listening to this as a girl or a certain type of boy, and going like, "Yeah, that's me." And then if in reality you see, you know, Paul's dating so and so, kick over the lampstand, and the dog <laughs> runs out of the room because he's scared. Uh-huh. You know. Well, Paul was in a long-term relationship as well at this time. But he, was he happy? He kept a separate apart. He kept a separate apartment mm-hmm. for assignations, but uh, he was in a long-term relationship with Jane Asher this time. So, um, what's interesting about this song? I mean, I think we can kind of say if people are going to say the Dil- the Beatles were going through a Dylan period, All this right. is a result of uh, this song would be a result of that. And what's interesting, a bit of trivia: this is the first all-acoustic Beatles song. Oh, is that right? Yeah. Okay. That doesn't have any electrical instrumentation on it. All right. And what's funny about it is that exactly at this moment, they're making this song. Dylan in New yeah. York is <laughs> recording. It. Yeah, he's doing Bringing It All Back Home. He's subterranean homesick blues and, and those songs. So he's going taking up the he's taking up the electric guitar and the Beatles are, are putting theirs down you know what for the, this song. Not do you know all what songs. sounds like might have happened, Dave? And, what's you that? Know, these these uh, guys are all hanging out. They're mm-hmm. all rock musicians. Yeah. They're all smoking a little uh, doobies and maybe they get each other's luggage. And so uh, Dylan ends up with the electric guitar, and uh, these guys end up with the acoustics, and they're like, we got to record it today. Oh, no. That's right. Well, bring them out, and let's do it. Of course, because there's no way the Beatles could have afforded to go to the store and buy a new electric guitar. What are they going to do? They they get mobbed when they walk out. They can't leave. They've got to play the darn song. That's why Neil and Mel were there. That's right. Okay. Um, I think my theory is valid. What I... I lo- you know, I do enjoy sort of the Dylan connection, but when I hear songs like this and, and uh, I've just seen a face, they also make me think that at, this, at the same time, there's a thriving British folk boom going on. There's, there's uh, I can't even think of their names anymore because my, my mind is shot, but, you know, there's John Renborn, there's Davy Graham, there's... Um, you can think of the names plenty good. That's fine. You're there's other job. people whose name, the guy who wrote Dirty Old Town, mm-hmm. whose name I just sucked my mind. I'm sorry, everybody. And... Uh, there's uh, the lady folk singers, you know, so there's people who who were, you know, exploring folk music at all. And it was very popular this time, you know, so the Beatles, I don't think they're totally influenced by Dylan on this. I think that they also took in part of their own scene that they were part yeah, it's, of. It's what the culture is. It's yeah. not it's not unbelievable that they would have, you know, snuck into a, a folk club when it was in full. But gloom was the and, British uh, folk scene influenced by Dylan? Um. Uh, there was a back and forth because Dylan was influenced by it as well. He traveled to. Well, was his music popular in England at oh, that yeah. point? Yeah, oh, was... okay. Well, then. But I mean, he tr- but before he was well known, he traveled to England. Uh, he actually performed in a in a, a movie play, a, like a TV, not a movie play, a TV play, and um, and then while he was there, he you know toured some of the clubs and stuff like that, and he picked up a lot of of uh, songs and things when he was there. He stole some music from people mm, and brought it back because you, yeah, yeah. you know he's Bob Dylan and you know he liked to borrow. And uh, so he, you know, brought that back. So he, you know, things like, uh, it's no different, like Paul Simon did the same thing. I mean, his version of Parsley Sage, Rosemary and Time is a total ripoff of what people were doing in the British folk scene. And so there's a little bitter taste about that as well. But let's not go into the, the British folk. <laughs> okay. But that, that's part of it. All and right. then, uh, 
one there's one more thing the sure. beautiful flute solo so the first appearance by a, a um first appearance by someone who wasn't part of the beatles circle because i would include george martin so if george martin plays piano on a, on a beatles track i would include him as being part of that group so johnny scott who was an arranger and flautist uh at emi he came in to play he was asked to come in and do the flute part and there's actually two flutes mm-hmm. there's a tenor and an alto flute and what was he how do you mean? Was he the alto or the tenor? Did he was both. both. Oh, yeah, he played both them track. and then he overdubbed it. That would be... And so basically the Beatles just said to him, you know, we want it to kind of sound like this. We want it three-quarter time. And, you know, we kind of want it to sound like that. And he said, okay, well, what we'll need to do is we'll need two flutes. So he just kind of quickly wrote a little arrangement, played the one, and then overdubbed the other on top of that. And they went, that's our flautist. That's our flautist. That's right. Imagine... And did he get any credit on the album? No, he did not. Oh, I'm just picturing this poor bastard. Um, like he's going to the bar, or he's going to pub. Not unusual in those days. Okay, so. but he's going to pub, right? Mm-hmm. And uh, ladies are uh, coming up, and then on the radio, what's playing? This guy, this song's playing on the radio, and he goes like, "Hey, you know what? I'm uh, playing on that." It's like, "Oh, you're you're one of the Beatles, huh?" Yeah. Well, like, I I play. Uh, oh, who? What instrument do you play on the Beatles album? I'm the flautist. Sure you are, buddy. Sure you are. No one would believe that story. And the poor flautist just goes flouting down the street. Well, he probably was kind of friendly with the Beatles because he also did arrangements for Scylla Black, who was a Brian Epstein uh, artiste and was coat check girl at the Cavern. So obviously friendly with the Beatles. So there probably was a little bit of uh, back and forth there. And then the line, feeling two foot small, was actually Mm -hmm. supposed to be feeling two foot tall. But Lennon flubbed it. And then he said, oh, uh, "Beautiful mistake." Yeah, he said, "He said, leave that in." Actually, all this, all those suits will really love it. Suits, I love that word. What is suits like? It was a British term for pseudo intellectuals. Oh, nice. Yeah. Okay, yeah. good. Very popular with your private eye generation. Private eye is a British satirical magazine for <laughs> in England at the time. Very popular. Now, um, all right, I'm going to move on to the next song. Sure. Unless you stop me. Sure. The next song is called "I Need You," which which seems a nice little follow up from "Help." Okay. You know, I mean, the first one is like this aggressive kind of help, mm-hmm. and uh, and now like let's just bring help down a couple of notches. Let's pull it in, and yeah. we're going to direct it right at the girls. Okay, we're going to direct. You know who I need, Dave? You. You need, and the the Beatles need to have a couple of songs that are right directly to you, the listener. And this is this is one of them. Do you know whose second song this was? George Harrison. Yeah. Oh, this was the nice. second second song. And so typically a melancholy kind of sounding Harrison song, mm-hmm. and most likely written for Patty Boyd, who he'd met. Um, who who he'd met on the uh, set of Hard Day's Night. She was actually one of the schoolgirls in the baggage car scene when they play they play in the baggage car and the girls are watching them. Mm-hmm. That's uh, well, she was one of the kind of extras in that scene. And, and why would he caught... written this for her? What was she doing? Because she was his girlfriend. Oh, yes. All right, very good. Later, his wife. Very sweet. Later, Eric Clapton's wife. Oh, uh, that, there was a divorce in between those two, right? There was a long. T- long kind of changeover period. And you're saying this is Eric Clapton situation? Yeah. Now, what, here's what I think happened, Dave, and this is just me. I think Eric Clapton and George Harrison, mm-hmm. they both enjoyed a jazz cigarette. And <laughs> one day, they went home with the wrong ladies, wrong lady? and then Eric Clapton went, well, I don't want to be rude. He opened and, up his guitar case. And there was his new wife. Yeah. And he went, I've got to be polite, <laughs> and ended up married to her, and that's called, that's British politeness for you. It's... You take what you get in England, you know? And that comes from the war. It's you, a lot. It's a lot more sordid than yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. You, I'm sure it's sordid, but I like my story of like lots of mix-ups <laughs> with luggage. You know the song Layla? Yes, that's written for Patty Boyd oh, by Eric by, by Eric Clapton. Yeah. Oh, that should have been it was called a song uh, of Patty. Y- yearning should have been called Patty. He couldn't though. use a real name because he wasn't 
is she was his best friend George Harrison's wife. Oh well, also if you sung yeah. Patty, I got <laughs> you on my knee, Patty. That's no good. Sounds like patty cakes. It sounds like patty cakes. Yeah. That would sound really creepy. Okay. <laughs> So right. that's uh, I need you. That's a nice George Harrison. Let's... What do you think of the guitar sound in it? That weird kind of wah, wah, the guitar. I don't have a strong opinion on it. It's not my favorite song, but it gets you to where you're going. <laughs> like it feels again, it feels redundant. Like I've already had help. Yeah. So I gotta need you. All right. I feel like this is the song that you just have to do to the to the fans. Mm. It's it's necessary. Yeah. We have we're contractually obligated to do one directly to you. Going, we really need you. Yeah. This is exactly that done it, moving on to the next it's just song. kind of one of those things where you you bought a volume tone pedal or a volume pedal <laughs> and so you need something to make the song sound slightly different than all the other songs and so you use it for this song now i'm gonna I'm but gonna, it doesn't seem thematic to me because it's going to appear that volume tone pedal or swell pedal whatever you want to call it will appear in a song we're going to talk about a little later all right to much better effect i think now i'm going to go with a different uh, theme which is i think from i need you to Ticket to Ride, we have a quatrology of a story. We got a okay. storyline. Now, I'm okay. the guy who. You're puts... missing a song. You know that, right? Oh, what song am I missing? Another Girl. Yeah, I know. Oh, okay. I'm going like, it goes, I need you. Another another girl, you're going to lose that girl, Ticket to Ride. I'm saying quatrology oh, okay. instead okay. of, you know, so that's what I'm saying. Sure, sure. Meaning four. Yeah. Uh, I think of those four songs in a row are telling a story. We'll get to that as we go. Okay. So, I need you is passed on. Now we're on to another girl. Yes. Yeah. So, what or, I... or the I'm a real jerk song. <laughs> but what I find interesting more than the content what I find in, to me personally what's interesting <laughs> about this song aside. content schmontent is <laughs> the fact that this song was recorded at the same session as Ticket to Ride and I Need You which is like interesting because because it's just amazing me you know just the amount of material that you know even though I'm not like super hot on the songs on help still it's pretty fantastic <laughs> that you can just like in one session because they were so efficient, they could get it, you know, make these great songs. Right. It's, it amazes me. Help, actually, I'll say this right now, has one of my favorite Beatles songs ever on it. We'll see if you can guess what song that is okay. as we get to it. Okay. Yeah, it Yesterday. hasn't occurred yet. Yesterday. No. Okay. All right. Oh, I know what it is. Very good. It's not a Beatles song, though. Well, there we go. Life goes on. We'll see. <laughs> okay. It's not Dizzy Miss Lizzie, if that's what you're thinking it is. So this one, yeah, it's like he's got another girl and he just wants that other girl. Yeah. Yeah, what a jerk. Yeah. Okay. So we've started off with I need you, mm -hmm. but now he hey, what's happened? Yeah. He's got another girl. Another girl. That's right. He's moved on to another girl. Yeah. So this is a little, uh, you know, if you're the girl fan listening to this, yeah. that's a bit of like, what a jerk. Well, it isn't, it isn't, because the other girl is the one who's going to be true. That means you. If you're the girl fan listening and your record player at home, you're jealous of, of, of Jane Asher. Oh, but now you've heard that Jane Asher is not really fulfilling Paul's needs. All right. She's not standing barefoot in the kitchen the way that Paul McCartney wants her to. Yuck. I'm willing to do that. I'm, as the girl, I'm talking, talking about me personally, but I, as the girl listening to this, I'm willing to be that other girl floors, who's true to the end. Floors were so cold back then, too, in England. You don't want to be barefoot in that kitchen. You really don't. <laughs> he can afford shoes. Get her some shoes. All right. Anything else on another girl? Well, Harrison had a lead guitar idea. Mm-hmm. And then Paul replaced it with the guitar soloing you hear, which isn't the greatest guitar playing, I don't think. It's kind of weird, kind of squanchy, kind of <laughs> ram, 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 but, but it's, uh, it's interesting. But yeah, what's curious to me though is, is I don't know how much it affected the band at this time, but we already, we've already seen Paul becoming Paul McCartney, you know. In what way? In what way? In his, cause he's a very, he's kind of a brutal person. And I don't mean that in a, in a critical way, cause I would be the same. I would like to know your explanation for this. Continue, sir. Well, because when Paul has an idea of what he wants, he know he wants it exactly the way that he pictures it in his mind or hears it in his mind. Okay. He doesn't want you to contribute to it. 
if you say, Paul, I got a great idea. When you say, you know, another girl, I'm going to go, I'm going to echo you, you know, you'll say, another girl, I'll go, wah, 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 wah. Okay, how do you say that? Paul's going to say to you, no. He's not going to say, you know what, I don't want to hurt George's feelings. Like, George has worked a long time on this. He spent a couple hours, you know, figuring out these parts, these licks for the song. And I don't want to hurt his feelings, so it's not going to affect it that much, if you know. So I'll just go along. Nope. He let, you know, George recorded this thing. Paul said, nope, it's not what I pictured. I'm going to erase your work. Mm-hmm. Your couple hours of, of, of guitar work is gone, and I'm going to replace it with my squanchy guitar playing, uh, the sort of country-western thing. And, you know, that's Paul. Now, and it's not a criticism of him. Okay. I mean, it's critical in a way, but I can, you can see why it would bother the, the Beatles. The fact, cause Paul, you know, it'd be kind of like George would bring in a song. Paul would be like, okay, let's record George's song, or John's song. Yeah. We spend a, you know, a little while in John's song. Okay, let's go into my song. John's like, well, we're not really finished my song. Oh no, it's good enough. I think we've done really well, but your bass playing was kind of perfunctory. Oh no, no. And I, that was a great bass part. I don't think I could do any better than that. Let's do my song now. And then for the next three days, you're playing Paul's song over and over again, trying to get this idea of what he wants, you know. And then, George, you're not playing this right. I'm, you know, I'm going to replace you on this part. Ringo, your drum part's terrible. I'm going to do the drums on this. Okay. John, you just stand back. I'll just do it. In fact, you guys, I'll just do it by myself. Okay. I'm just going to do it by myself. Now, here's a, I'm going to defend the thing you're not saying should be defended because it doesn't need to be defended. Okay. But I'm going to defend Paul McCartney for, for you right now. Well, I don't think you have to. I'm not. What did I just say? Okay. Did I just <laughs> <laughs> I didn't understand you. Dear you, you audience, used, you used did three I not double just negatives. set that up? You yeah. used three double I negatives. I am throwing you off with double negatives. We've established that early <laughs> in the show. A double negative. Dave is nothing yeah. if not yeah. someone who does Doesn't not not like a double not negative. negative. Not, a, not. Not not at Let's all. Let's admit that. I didn't not like that in the very least. Now, here's here's my feelings about mm-hmm. this, Dave. Uh, you don't get to be John Lennon and yeah. Paul McCartney. Yeah. Uh, by not being obsessive. Yeah. You, you, oh, I know. you have to be perfectionist. Mm-hmm. You have to be this. Now, now say you're that kind of personality. Yeah. And you have then become the Beatles because yeah. of that. Yeah. Basically, everyone is telling you you're a genius. You walk out on stage. You can't perform anymore. Why? There's a wall of screaming love. Yeah. For the stuff you've written. Yeah. You know, so, so why would you change? Why would you at all change? The only thing that can happen at this point is you can fail. Yeah. And 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 your your way of like stopping failure is I've got to be even more in control. So if you're that kind of personality, this is going to just be, you know, uh, jacking that up to the nth level, you know. And yeah, it will eventually destroy the band. It will. Oh, it will. But you can't turn that off. Yeah. You know, there's no, but it's there's a, no way. But it's kind of a paradox for McCartney in that he is very controlling, mm-hmm. but he also thrives in a band situation. Mm-hmm. He wants that kind of back and forth of a band situation. He wants to be in a band. Mm-hmm. You know, it didn't take any time at all, you know, for him to, after the Beatles broke up, you know, there's a couple albums and then he's doing Wings and they're, you know, on a bus right. touring universities yep. because, you know, that's a situation he that is. he's happy in. Yeah. Even though the guys were getting paid pennies a day and all of them quit because they weren't getting any money. Well, we don't do the thing that's you know, healthy. We do the yeah. thing that works. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You know, so that's what that's what he's doing. So it's just, a, it's just a, you know, I just bring it up because you can sort of see the cracks now. Mm-hmm. And you're not seeing it crumbling, but it's not very far away from Paul and George's spat in Let It Be where they're arguing about George not getting to play his guitar part in Hey Jude. You know, and so 
because people it's, are now saying to George, well, this is good. I mean, this would be yeah, fine yeah. at the beginning mm-hmm. when who are you, George? No one knows you. Yeah. But now George is getting no, the, right. the, the, the buckets of fan mail as well. I'm yeah. saying buckets, truckloads. <laughs> so they're going, George, we want you to do more. And maybe George is getting that in his head, yeah. you know? So yeah, yeah. everyone's. It's uh, understandable. I'm just saying, I was just pointing out the cracks. We are, we are right now filling the basement with oily rags. And uh, at some point, something's going to happen. But I'm I'm not condemning Paul McCartney for this. Mm-hmm. I'm just stating it as as a as a fact of of his his character or personality. Mm-hmm. And I'm not condemning it though. I I'm exactly the same way. I'm a very picky person. I'm not I'm condemning your condemnations. You know how your picky many I am. condemnations. You know that this is the fifth time that we've done this show today. <laughs> That's right. I am also the sixth host you've gone <laughs> That's through. That's right. <laughs> They're just littered outside. Okay. Uh, so, so apparently we're going to lose that girl. After this other girl. That's the thing. Well, here's a weird thing. It's weird to have two songs with the word girl in them, Mm -hmm. one after the Mm -hmm. other, and not see any connections. But yeah, if you're going to have another girl, well, let me tell you what's going to happen. You're going to lose that girl. That is just going to, that's going to just, just occur. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and uh, it's fine. (laughs) The song is fine? Yeah, this song is fine. Actually, this is probably one of my most favorite songs on the album. Okay. I mean, besides the obvious hits, besides Ticket to Ride and Help, this is one of my more favorite songs, partly because it kind of calls back to Hard Day's Night. It has a bit of that sound to Mm -hmm. it. You know, the bongos, the kind of, the this call and like response vocals. This a good vocals. song live, a very good song live, yeah. It has a kind of a doo-wop chording, it's got the call and response, it's and when it's, I, when it's I nice say that way. When I say a song on this kind of album is okay, like on any other album, that's the song. Yeah. You know, I mean, the Beatles have raised the level of what's okay, mm. you know, it's just so high. But yeah, this one is like, yeah, that's, to me, it's like, fair, oh. yeah. I just think, because Lennon's singing this is great, his falsetto's great, mm-hmm. and it's obviously written by Lennon, he sung it. And then... What I, also interesting about it is that Paul adds a piano to it to make it a bit to kind of fatten the sound, as they mm-hmm. say. And what's interesting about that is that it's Paul doing it and not George Martin, because now they can overdub it. So they don't need George to play piano at the same time they're playing. They can just add it in themselves. Also, they got lot, Paul got a lot more competent on piano. He taught himself to play piano, mm-hmm. and he was obsessive. one. Of, and he's a musical yeah. genius. Yeah. And so any instrument he wanted to play, he could play. You know, do we need a recorder in Fool in the Hill? Who can play that? Oh, I'll just pick it up and do But um, but not a flautist. And then the at this point, you <laughs> at know, this point, that, not a flautist. If you can if the band, if the band stayed together, maybe ten more years, maybe Paul maybe, be doing maybe so. So okay. Now I'm wondering who I played just, uh, the pipes on Pipes of Peace. I just want to bring up uh, one. Well, I'll bring it up after the next song. This is actually the last song recorded before they had to finish the, this set of sessions. You're gonna lose that girl. You're, this is the last song, and then they left for the Bahamas. Okay. So. But uh, we'll talk about we'll talk we'll kind of talk about that in a minute because the next song is Ticket to Ride. Ticket to Ride, their first single that came out, out of this set. And I mean, obviously, at this time they were so they were so like starving for songs that they couldn't even come up with you know even though they loved to have singles that were separate from the album, they just couldn't do it. So both the singles are on this album, which they didn't like to do actually. They really didn't. Sometimes they didn't mind a couple tracks coming off the album, mm-hmm. but really they wanted to have. These little jewels that existed off of the albums for their fans. Cause you know, records are expensive. 45s were the medium at that time. Hardly anyone bought r- records. Whenever you Everyone see, bought 45s. Whenever, so. also, whenever you see, uh, the, the albums playing, you always see a bunch of girls sitting around. I mean, that's yeah. the photo. Yeah. But that's the thing. Let me just say before. You never did that in, as a teenager? What, listened with albums with people? Yeah. Uh, I did until I got a set of headphones and then realized this sounds way better in my headphones <laughs> than it does through my dad's hi-fi. But, but you know, you not, you couldn't, everyone couldn't afford a record. 
you know, and it's yeah. And and in those days, there was no place you could illegally download it. So you could go to a record shop and listen to it on the headphones. But you like could. But thing, one yeah. of your friends would buy it, mm-hmm. and then you you and your other friends would go over to that person's house and you would listen to the record there. Now I'm just going to that wrap- way you didn't have to own the record. Absolutely, well, your let, friend owned it. Let me wrap up the the quadrology mm-hmm. uh, thing I was sure. going to say. Okay, so we've gone from I need you. Uh, well, you I need to. Uh, I got another girl. Yeah. Now we've gone to. Uh, you're gonna lose that girl. Yeah. Buddy, you did lose that girl, and I'll tell you what happened. <laughs> sure. She got a ticket to ride. She, she's she out of here. She so, got a ticket to ride. And by the way, if I was say writing a movie, yeah, I might make something out of those four songs in a row and make that your, you know, basically the plot of you know well, the every pro- the- every movie that there is. Well. You know? uh, we'll talk about the movies in a, a different time. I so understand. I, I don't I'm wanna, just saying. I have an argument for you've you. You've got but. a plot going. You've you've put those four songs together. That's a lovely plot for something. Anyway, Tick so, to Ride, Kick-Ass Song. So this was actually the first song recorded for the for the help. This was the first song that they did. Oh, okay. Uh, obviously, why it also came out so early. It was released in April. And uh, now, actually, there was a lot of disagreement. I don't know if it was between the Beatles or just between the record company and the Beatles over this being a single. It was felt kind of a slow song, a bit of a downer. This is a slow song to them. To them, yeah. Compared to help, it's not as it's not as peppy and upbeat. It's you know. Okay, right? I I think it's a pretty peppy song. And I just want to, it's fairly peppy, but about downer material about you, she's leaving you. Yeah. But you're kind of it's a, it's an upbeat <laughs> downbeat. Well, it has the the end. The coda is upbeat, but the the body of the song is kind of has that very interesting um um kind of well, it's got the bass kind of doubling the tom so you get this really heavy sound to the song yeah and then you've got that interesting drum beat from ringo so he's going to that you know and then it feels very full the bass is going boom 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 like that so this this song is a full meal to me yeah this one it's a great song fantastic song and so i just wanted so we're talking about their recording technique Mm -hmm. so i just wanted to talk about how it worked for them so take one was a false start so they started playing it and then someone you know, a guitar went playing or whatever happened. So then they did take two. Now take two was the best track. So they did not do any more tracks after take two. Okay. So take two. So they had the bass and the drums on track one. They had the rhythm and lead guitar on track two. John's lead vocals were on track three. And then tambourine, guitars, and backing vocals were all on track four. So that's how they did it. So it was only two. They only had to do two versions of it onto tape. And it was ready. They just mm-hmm. added everything after that. So it sped up things. So then they had time to do Another Girl and I Need You. All right. You know what I mean? All right. Yeah. Yeah. Because it could move that quickly. You know, once you, you didn't have to worry about getting it perfectly right the first time. When they were doing Meet the Beatles, or I should say With the Beatles. And, yeah. And, um, Meet the Beatles is the American version. The American version. version, yeah. When they're doing With the Beatles and Hard Day's Night and, and obviously Please Please Me, it had to be perfect. The take had to be perfect. So they would do like 13 takes for that perfect tape. And sometimes takes would be edits of 13 and 7, say the ending was better in 13, the beginning was better in 7, we'll edit them together and create one track. Not the worst thing in the world for a band that had just been performing live for so long to have to do kind of live two albums. You know, that's all right. But yeah, Mm. as you mature, let's use the techniques that you can. Yeah, absolutely. Sure. And so, once again, lead guitar played by Paul. He's taking a lot of lead guitar on this album, isn't he? (laughs) What's George doing? And then... uh, this is actually the first Beatles song to break the three-minute barrier mm. because of the coda. They, the up-tempo coda at the end helps it to break. Was the... there any problems with the song being that long on the radio? Well, at that time, yeah, a song a song that was over two minutes and thirty seconds would not be played on the radio. Really? Yeah. So what you had to do was lie on your forty on the uh, label and say it was two minutes and thirty-five Could seconds. Could you say say instead that you're the Beatles? 
would that get you played on the radio? Oh, that might get you played, but it's still, mm, I, I, I believe it's it still well, it still broke format. Yeah. And format was super important for radio stations in those days. Mm. You know, even the Beach Boys had problem when they broke format. You know, they did a song called uh, The Little Girl I Once Knew. And in the song, there's several times where the song absolutely stops for a couple seconds and there's total silence. Well, it didn't get played on the radio, even though it was a Beach Boys, because the radio stations do not want dead silence during their during yeah. their broadcast, right? Now, my question to you then uh, about the history of radio is, uh, radio? Old, old-timey radio, mm-hmm. like your 1940s yeah. radio, would the songs have to be that length then, or is this a new thing brought I think in it was for a new thing, roll? yeah, for rock and roll. I think that was for the top 40 radio stations, rock and roll radio stations. Because okay. I think that songs by Frank Sinatra or I whoever... I think like uh, Mac the Knife probably went on a little longer than yeah, that. Yeah, probably assume. did, yeah, yeah. yeah. But I bet you Splish Splash didn't. <laughs> that, okay. Those are both Bobby Darren songs. Do you know what? I'm not taking any Splish Splash bets off you. Okay, so... Now, so I said before that You're Going to Lose That Girl was was uh, was the last song they recorded before they went to the Bahamas. And when it was recorded, they mixed down 11 songs, and they were all brought uh, by the Beatles to the Bahamas. So Richard Richard Lester, the director of Help, could listen to them and choose what songs he wanted to use in the film. Oh, okay. So, so the songs that were... And they said, Lester, you're going to use these songs to thematically influence the movie, right? And he went, what? No, uh, <laughs> Chase film it is. Sure, okay. Yep, you got it. So, um, so we had the night before. Mm-hmm. You've got to hide your love away. Yeah, I need you. Mm-hmm. Another girl. You're going to lose that girl. Right. Ticket to ride. Mm-hmm. Uh, you like me too much. Okay. Which we haven't talked about yet. Tell me what you see. Mm-hmm. Um, yes, it is. And then two songs that never made it onto the record. Um, which was uh, if you've got trouble. And then the other one, who's uh, now it's gone out of my head what it was called. That means a lot. Was that what it's called? Yeah, that means a lot. Okay. Neither song made it onto the actual album, but they were mixed and put onto uh, acetate, uh, you know, a temporary vinyl record. Are either of those songs available as uh, singles or uh, no. out in any other way? No, just so, uh, they were unreleased tracks. Wow, that yeah. seems an odd thing to do with we, uh, the we Beatles. Can, we can talk about that. Well, they were later released. But, oh, that's what I'm I mean, you can yeah. hear them now, but at the time okay. you couldn't hear them. <laughs> I mean, that seems a very you odd have, thing. You wouldn't have known they existed as Beatles tracks at the time. Oh, okay. They didn't talk about them. So, okay, now a major thing happened to John and George at this time. They were over at a friend's house, which who was a dentist. And what this guy did, and I think this is kind of stupid, but what this guy did was... By the way, every one of our episodes contains tales of dentistry. Tales so of dentistry. So I just want to set that yeah. up. This is about a root canal. Okay. Talk about help. Um, they were at this guy's house, and he slipped them acid. Not just to John and George, but to Cynthia and Patty as well. So all four of them started tripping, and they didn't know what it was. Okay. They didn't know what was going on. All right. That is a, and they had, that is a terrible dentist. Yes. Terrible friend. Well, no, 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 no. It wasn't that he was a dentist. He was a friend of theirs. Okay, I, I'll give you, like, a friend, that's not something a friend does. Yeah. But as someone who's a medical professional, that is terrible. Yeah. So, By the way, every time we say something is bad medically, an ambulance uh, sound effect uh, will be played. We've, de- we've determined that earlier yeah. on in the show. Yeah. Those of you who haven't listened to every episode, this is our gimmick. Here's the ambulance moment. Because we're talking about medicine, it's fading away. All right, continue, Dave, please. So uh, they had like a terrible trip. They were freaking out. They, oh. but they did leave, and which even seems less wise to me. They left this guy's apartment. Well, you're not thinking. And then they right. were traveling around London, tripping on acid. And they're the Beatles for the first time. And they're the Beatles. Well, I'm sure they're with their handlers. They probably they weren't all by themselves, but still bad handlers. Then well, the handlers weren't slipping them acid into their. No, 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 but if, they had tasters. They're not royalty. No, but they're just if, the Beatles. Okay, when you're on a- of when you're on acid, there are some signs. Yeah, and like for one thing, your pupils are enormous. I don't think people would have known at the time. All right. I mean, 
You know who would LSD have known? LSD was not. The, I mean, LSD was not only not very well known; it was also legal at the time. Now let me take. ask you this question. Sure. The dentist. Yeah. Who is uh, tripping uh, yeah. with everyone? Yeah. Now, when uh, John and Paul go, we're leaving. Yeah. Did he, did they go with their ladies or just alone? Yeah, they they with, with their ladies. ladies. Yeah. This is a dentist go. I maybe I should tell them. No, nah. no, he had to, he had told them. They knew what was happening. At oh, the so time. now they they all they, know they're they on know, acid. They know they're on acid, but they don't know what it is. They've never taken it before. Okay, well, still handlers. Yeah. Smarten up. <laughs> Terrible handlers. <laughs> I think they're by themselves. Oh, okay. so you think John and Paul and then the girls are alone? There's no handlers. Well, when they're having their dinner, I don't think that they're. I don't think you know the people that their chauffeur and stuff like that were sitting on a I'm chair just behind them. Like people in London walking down the street and they see uh, uh, John and Paul. I think they're in their cars. Driving around London, they're freaking driving out. now. They're being on driven. Acid. Being driven. Oh, this is a terrible story. <laughs> I hate. You're the one who makes it terrible. Every I know. You're I, making it worse. Here's than what it, makes I mean, it's it, bad. Here's but, what makes it terrible. Yeah. A doctor slipping someone acid. Oh no, I think that's terrible. Okay, now, that's just, that's ridiculous. Yeah. Absolutely insane. Yeah, that's just criminal almost to me. License lost. Yeah, immediately. Yes. Okay, but continue, bad dentist. Please. All right, bad dentist. Ah, uh. so. So it was just them. It was, you know, it took a while. It took another, it took a bit longer for Ringo to try it and even longer for Paul. So, but John and George had experienced right. acid and it, they were curious about it. And John really liked it. Obviously, John was started I'm eating sorry, it I like it was, was breakfast John, cereal. John and Paul. Uh, John and George. John, yeah, John and George. George. Very good. Okay. Yeah. So. Breakfast cereal. They put I, it on their breakfast cereal. <laughs> They're frosties. I just, so then, okay. well, it was on sugar cubes. So then, um, so I just bring it up because I, you know, to me, Acid is even a more even a more major change. Like the acid use brought an even more major change to the sound of the Beatles. So it happened around this time. I don't think you can hear much of it in in Help, but I think you'll start to hear its effect in Rubber Soul and even more obviously in Revolver. I just bring it up because you know chronology. Mm-hmm. What are we all about in the show? Chronology, acid, acid. Oh, that's right. and that acid as as well. All right, so now on to Ian's favorite song, side two of the album, Act Naturally. <laughs> No, this is my least favorite. <laughs> I would say, like, if you ask me, what's my least favorite Beatles song? Oh, okay. That is, uh, that is not a cover. I would say probably this song. And I'll only, the only reason for this, and it's an unfair to the song itself. Yeah. Is because too many damn hippies that I knew used to sing this song and love it. Okay. The people that loved this song. Yeah. I did not care for. <laughs> and so. All right. And they thought it was hilarious. Yeah. And here's the other thing. It's a funny song. Uh-huh. It's a jokey song. Yeah. Yeah. And that gets on your nerves after, you know, it's like someone singing Alice's Restaurant to you <laughs> over and over again. It's just all like. All 18 minutes? All 18 minutes. You know, I memorized this song. Oh, did you? Here we go. I'm not going to do the pickle song after. You know, I... Uh, Please don't. You know, there you go. Well, Act Naturally is a jokey song. Would have been actually a good title for a movie. Like, mm-hmm. if there's a movie called Act Naturally, and mm-hmm. basically, this mm-hmm. was the plot to your movie, I would give you that movie as well. I would I would dislike the song less. I don't have your guilt by association to the song, so I actually kind of like it. And I think it's a good vehicle for Ringo. I think he does a good job on it. I think his his cheerful singing voice fits yep. his song. Yep. It was originally recorded by Buck Owens and his Buckaroos. You know Buck Owens, of course, because he was on... Hee Haw. Hee Haw, yeah. And uh, I guess the, he didn't write Those it. Those of you that don't know what Hee Haw is, it was basically laughing for Hicks. Yeah. 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 Or young kids who watched it on television, like Absolutely. myself. Absolutely. And they like the pretty and I like, girls. And I like a bit of picking. And you like and a little so bit of grinning. I liked uh, the fact that it had... Um, um, uh, well, who's the other guy on it? Roy? It was, uh, uh, yeah. Oh, I knew it till you said that. Uh, Buck Owens and Roy. Nah, I don't got it. Anyway. Yeah, well, you know who we're talking about, right? Yeah. Dear listeners. Um, oh. 
Yeah, so uh, Buck Owen was kind of, he was sort of one of the originators of the uh, Bakersfield sound, uh, along with Merle Haggard and some other people whose names I don't know. What was the Bakersfield sound, basically? It was a California country. Bakersfield is a town near Los Angeles. Okay. And so, but far enough out that it was still kind of a farming community. And so, you know, country was popular there. Probably a lot of Okies came out there during the Dust Bowl Depression days. And so brought the country with them and Bakersfield sound was kind of, kind of rose out of that. Yeah, I mean, I can't, again, I can't begrudge Ringo anything. I like me some Ringo, mm-hmm. I, you know. And it's it's interesting having him sing this in that he was the movie star of the Beatles. Like, he carried every one of the Beatles movies. Yeah. Basically. And, I mean, I think because Richard Lester recognized a, kind of a face for the movies, like a natural look, you know. For a comedy but movie. But I, I, agree, I agree with you with help that, you know, it's too much Ringo, not enough three other Beatles. Well, the problem, problem, yeah, is it's too much Ringo and also it's a, he's a character actor in between a lot of character actors. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And I think they've missed out on The Handsome, which, uh, which a lot of the ladies enjoy. And so, although there will be another cover song at the end of this album, this mm-hmm. was actually the last song recorded for the album and it was the last cover ever recorded by the Beatles until the Get Back, Let It Be sessions. Oh, is that right? Yeah. Okay. After this, it was all original. They were refused to do any more covers. But it's not the last cover on this album. Not the last cover on this album. No, Unfortunately. Unfortunately, I agree with you. We're really we're, we're doing sadly we're doing some setup here. Sadly. Of uh, sadly. There you go. Okay. All right. So, anything else on Act Naturally? Well, I could tell you a story about how it was written, but I, I would like to. I'd like to hear something. Oh, By hear? the way, Roy Clark. Oh, Roy Clark. There we go. Fantastic guitar player. I mean, yeah, everyone makes, everyone makes fun of the show for the kind of hickey jokes and stuff yeah. like that and the grandma with the price tag hanging from her hat and all that kind of stuff. But the songs on there are absolutely fantastic. It's some really great yeah. bluegrass and, and No, and no that's, what held the so- that's what held the show together. Yeah, yeah. By the way, that's – okay, we're just going to quickly tangent for here. <laughs> that's why Hee Haw continued way past laughing. Because laughing yeah. didn't have anything but the, that's right. You know, the jokes that were exactly as corny as the other ones. Laughing is the same show, but quality country music carries you through. I don't know <laughs> what fifteen seasons that show went forever. That was the gun smoke of uh, of uh, that kind of thing. Yeah. Anyway, well, I was just, well, the song itself was written almost as a joke. Um, the the guy who wrote the song, his name was was uh, Johnny Russell, and he was a songwriter and. He, he was joking with him. He was going to Los Angeles and someone said, uh, what, why are you going? And he said, oh, they're going to put me in the movies. They're going to make a big star out of me. And then he started thinking to himself, oh, that's a great line. I should make that into a song. And so he wrote this song and he was called it Act Naturally. But he could not get anyone to record it. Everyone said it was, no one likes songs about movies <laughs> and no one likes jokey songs. Oh, yeah. There's no business like show business? Yeah. Oh, that song's, t- no oh, one I, ever heard that song. To be fair, that song was about Broadway. But anyway, it was written for a Broadway musical. All right. And you get your gun. But, um, so uh, he had it for about two years. Hooray for Hollywood. That song did that well. That did song did terribly. What? <laughs> okay. So uh, I think that song was written. Oh, let's not go into that. So then, um, so he took the song uh, and he had it for a couple of years. And then he had got a new songwriting partner named Vonnie Morrison. There's a lady he was writing with. Mm-hmm. And she knew Buck Owens. And she said, you know what? This song would be perfect for Buck. I think he'd really like it. And he didn't. <laughs> he didn't like it at all. She passed the buck. But because because she said she knew Buck Owens, he gave her a half songwriting credit for it. But what's funny is another guy in the band 
thought it was good. And so he convinced Buck Owens to record it, and they did. And they actually had a, a you know, nice hit with it. So, so that worked out all right. It worked right out for him. everyone. It worked out all right for everybody. And that became a hit again with uh, Ringo later on. Or did it? I don't know if it was released as a single, was it? I don't know. Well, see, here's the weird thing with me. Like, I heard, I, I mean, I've heard this song on yeah, the radio when I was a kid. That's right. So, like, I, I assume it's a single. I assume it's a single, or I assume someone's getting a couple of bucks for the song. And you're not because playing we, that for Because free. we lived in kooky crazy land, North America, we don't know what were singles and what weren't. Because the British one was so different, and that's what I kind of know mm, more. You yeah, know? okay. We'll talk about that in a bit, actually. I do want to go into that I don't today. think that we ever mentioned that we are recording this from Canada. We are we are Canadians. We are Canadians. So we got we we did with our with our radio. We got a mix of British stuff. We got a mix of yeah. American stuff. Yeah. We weren't you know so uh, it's a little crossover there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think they knew because we pronounce it a hard day's newt. <laughs> yes, we did. Okay. So okay, this is your favorite Beatles song on the album. <laughs> no, it's, it's not. Love. But I have a question for you. I love about this song. Okay, oh well, it's a lovely song. It's only love, and you love this song. Mm-hmm. All right, it's my go. second. It's my second kind of favorite song on the album that isn't the singles. Now they became the Beatles became friends with Bob Dylan because Bob Dylan misheard a lyric that the Beatles sang. Well, that's not why they became friends okay, with him. He actually liked their music a lot. Understood, as you would. Because he was a rock and roller before he became a folk mu- musician. All right, let me just go with this old uh, anecdotal story. Sure. But the, but the, the so this goes, is a true story you're going to tell me. Well, this is a story you've told on the show already. So oh, okay. if it's a lie, okay. you, sir, are a liar. Okay. Okay. But it was like, uh, he thought that they heard, I oh, get... He, he didn't know them, yeah. yeah. Right, he thought, they, he thought he heard the lyric, I get high, yeah. when what was really being said was, I can't hide. I can't hide. Yeah. And he thought that was a that was a thing like, oh, they're, they're admitting mm. that they enjoy marijuana. Yeah. Okay. So we get now to, they've now met Bob Dylan. Yes. This is the first album since them meeting Bob Dylan. Yeah. And the opening lyric in It's Only Love is, I get high. Yeah. So is that anything? Do you oh, think? yes. Oh, very good. I think because John enjoyed putting in little coded things. I remember we talked about in the last show in for Beatles for Sale. There was a song, and I'm sorry now, I can't remember what song it was, mm-hmm. but there was a song where D- Dylan insisted that McCartney put uh, a high reference into the song as a, as a, as sort of a coded message to Dylan. You know, here's an actual high. Yeah. There's another, there's another reference to something high in this uh, album that I might go back and look. If those of you that are not, don't have the albums in front of you, uh, the, the entire lyric is, I get high when I see you go by, my oh my. Yeah. Anyway, that's, that's how that one goes. Here's the thing about this song. Lennon, Tell me. Lennon hated this song. He was embarrassed by this song. Really? He thought it was garbage. The original title for the song was That's a Nice Hat. Because he didn't like it. So he gave it like this sort of insulting title. Well, if there wasn't another song on here that had the original title of Scrambled Eggs, I'd go, that was the worst original title we've ever had. <laughs> but I think I think it's a lovely song. And I think, you know, the, the lyrics are kind of trite. I would agree with that. Mm-hmm. As a person who doesn't care about the lyrics, that doesn't really bother me. And they are a perfect vehicle for some really lovely singing. And his, you know, his vocals on the chorus are fantastic. And also has that really neat guitar sound from, uh, from George. And this was a first use by the Beatles of what would become very common, which was putting uh, something through a Leslie speaker. Um, and now, now the Leslie cabinet is a type, it was a kind of a speaker that was used on organs. And I'll explain how, how it was. Now it's kind of complicated. The Leslie contained a high frequency rotary horn. Mm-hmm. That was balanced on an upturned bass speaker, and then Madness. pointed into a revolving drum. What? And so what it would do is it would create this kind of eerie swimmy quality. Mm-hmm. And so 
That's why that guitar has what that. What kind of madman would invent that kind of thing? <laughs> well, that's what gives someone on acid, do you, perhaps. Do you have you ever heard the organ played like that sort of ice rink organ sound where it mm-hmm. goes? It has a really real vibrato. Right. That's a Leslie speaker giving it that effect. Well, Dave, you know uh, my day job is a Zamboni driver. So you clearly heard, you know. You've heard that a lot. We've, we, uh, by the way, every Canadian has to has at least to, put in three yeah. years as a Zamboni driver. It's, That's our military service. It's our military service. Yes, indeed. Right. So, um, By the way, just on a side note, the high reference I was thinking of was yeah. in Ticket to Ride where I don't know why she's riding so high. That mm-hmm. was it. Which I don't think is... I don't think that's as much nope. as the I get high part. But this yeah. certainly is... Yeah. Okay, good. I was assu- I was going to think you were going to go, oh, Ian, you're reading too much into this, <laughs> but uh, glad to see that you're on board with mm, the, I'm with on board with you. And um, and uh, yes, I think it's a wonderful song. I, I, yeah, I'm sorry. it's a sweet song, yeah. I'm sorry that the Beatles didn't like it. Well, I mean, you know what? They, you, you, you can make something, and look, here's the thing. A chef can make a meal yeah. that he does not like. That's why he's a chef. And then the other person, the, the eater of the meal... Oh. Uh, well, uh, taste something the chef didn't. You know, it's yeah. like, uh, that's true. You know, that's not true. everything. And, and I'm sure the Beatles wrote songs that they went, this is the best song we've ever written. And then the audience went, meh. You know, <laughs> I'm sure that, uh, I'm sure that's happened too. <laughs> I don't know if that happened too often, but okay, well, let's move on to. I'm sure they thought uh, the last song on this whole album was pretty good. Otherwise, they wouldn't have put it there. And yet you and I are sitting here now in the year 2014 going, yeah, nice one. So uh, <laughs> there you go. I think I've proved that point. So now we have uh, the third song written by. Was oh, this uh, George? Yeah, this is another George song. Wow, George. It feels like George. You like me too much. Is the angsty teen in the group? Mm-hmm. He feels he definitely feels... was the youngest. Mm-hmm. Definitely was the youngest. Yeah, this is uh, this is real teen talk here. By the way, <laughs> uh, we haven't said the name of the song. It's uh, you like me too much. We can sometimes in our discussions, yeah. forget to actually <laughs> set up what we're talking about yeah. and ramble. Mm-hmm like fools so i apologize hey if people are listening to this show they've already memorized all the songs in this album well I, i'm here's what i'm hoping i'm hoping that they have say uh like uh, your itunes up mm. and uh, you have your even if you have not downloaded the entire album well of course you've got albums probably whatever whatever access but even if you don't have the albums like you can play the previews and kind of get like the first you know minute or so of each song so you know mostly we're talking about stuff that will be available for free if you just go click Anyway, so uh, this song is You Like Me Too Much. Okay, so uh, what do you think of this one, Dave? This one is not well, one of my favorites. I, I do like this song. Good. Not, one not of ne- us does. Not That's necessarily good. for the song itself, which I think is an okay song. Uh-huh. But I think because the arrangement and the instrumentation of it is so interesting. Okay. One is the presence of the Horner pianette, electric piano, which... Uh, is on a few songs in this album, Another Night being another example of it. So they must have had it for a couple of days in the studio and just threw it on songs for the hell of it. And it's great on here. I think it's great on Another Night, Lennon playing on that one. And I think it's equally great on this song. Guys, we're going to use the honer? Yeah, yeah. right. We'll but use the also, honer. Use it on George's song. But what's even crazier <laughs> is the barrelhouse piano, the forehand barrelhouse piano. So you had Paul playing on the bass end of the piano and George Martin playing on the, on the, the whatever alto or tenor or soprano end of the of the the piano yeah playing that rolling piano sound i call it the left side of the piano no okay. right side of the piano right sorry. side of the piano sure paul and whatever it doesn't really matter one of them was on one side one was on the other and so they play this this parallel house piano which i think is just brilliant and i love the i love the guitar solo mixed <laughs> with this piano i think it's fun this is a fun element of that song that even though the song itself is so so, so you like the process more than you like the the, the well, product. I mean, my my problem with George songs at this time is they're kind of they're kind of samey. There's yeah. not a lot of his voice is is kind of, is not very inflected, 
and his songs are kind of similar. There's just kind of flat and lay there. I think one of the problems is he is playing with the Beatles. So like you're putting your songs up against, you know, yeah, the, yeah. He's, the the best he's songs. He's competing against two of right the now. best songwriters in the world. And it took him a while and he got there. Yeah. He got great. No, no, I love this time, I love George Harrison. At this time yeah, he's I'm just learning he's learning his craft. And you know, it's luckily he has two. Uh, you know, he has a brilliant arranger in Paul, yeah. uh, and also George Martin there to help him along, and add this. You know, this these great kind of sounds to the song that really help to make it make it better than what it is. And that's all I have to say about it. That's I all do you have enjoy to say. it. Yeah. I do enjoy it. You enjoy it, but you don't necessarily enjoy it. You enjoy what made it and how yes. it got yeah. made. Yeah, I do enjoy that. You like the origin story maybe more <laughs> no, than no, I you like the sounds of the song okay. too. All, all right, I like the, the sounds happily. of the song. Yeah. All right. Moving on to Tell Me What You See. Dave, uh, David, tell me what you see. Uh, with, with this McCartney song, once again, I just think it's it's uh, written for the film. They needed to have some album filler, and so this song was created. Yeah, this feels like the part of the album where it's like, if you need to go use the washroom, maybe these couple of songs are the ones to do it, and then you come back. You know, not that you couldn't, like, stop the uh, stop the album. Uh, but, uh, yeah, these are all right. They're fine. You know, we're not... Uh, it's in, once again. It's interesting because of, it's all right. It's interesting because the production is interesting. Oh, we're back to this again. Yeah, and that's because Dave is nothing if not a fan of production. Yeah, well, because I mean, I've already said the the label given to Beatles for Sale as being their lamest album. I really think belongs in this album. And that to say the Beatles have the lame help is the lamest album. You know, it's kind of like you know, it's sort of like like one degree down from perfection for me. But you know. So I'm not criticizing Help. I can listen to it any time, over and over again. It's the most woman in the world with a limp. That's right. But, you know, to me, it Nothing suffers... people who have limps. That's it's fine. It suffers from the fact that the Beatles obviously were starved for material, were being forced to write for a product, for the movie, and, you know, didn't have time to, to you know, collect their thoughts, get their songwriting house in order. You know, they were just producing for an assembly line yeah and, and they've got a lot me- of songs they've got a that. mediocre movie to make this we'd better uh we'd better make this album suffer because I, of it i disagree with your review of that film but all right but this you know you like me too much and tell me what you see yeah are two songs that were in, were um not chosen by by dick lester for for the film so they were recorded as possible 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 songs for the film but they got you know shunted aside and put on the second side the a side of help is all the songs that are in the movie yeah. the b side are the songs that and there was no there was no real outrage that the song was not in the movie people were not protesting no i don't think there's any anyone. please put tell me what you see in this oh my gosh so i guess i've just seen a face is your favorite song now here's the... well let me just say one thing before we get into that okay as like i like that this one is tell me what you see oh i'll tell you what i saw i've just seen a face mm-hmm. it's an ask it's an answer <laughs> and uh and when, and when did you see this face Oh, I saw it uh, uh, the yesterday. Night, the night before. No, you saw it yesterday. Well, it's the same thing. The night before is it's, yesterday. We've yesterday is a song that just comes out. I know, after this but I'm doing silly. the I'm doing the joke that I said earlier, oh which is it's the same song. Dave, you I'm doubling it. down. You blew it. No, you blew it. No, I was too clever by half. <laughs> too clever you by blew half. It by being clever. Nope, right over right over the head of uh, <laughs> certain people. But as you, you shall remain nameless. As you were saying, yes. As you were saying, yeah. This is my favorite song on the whole album. On the album, and one of my favorite Beatles songs. Period. Yeah, I really, I really do like it. This one's a fun song. It just, uh, it just rolls out, and it just feels, it feels like it's just rolling down a hill yeah. and just getting bigger and better as it goes, and it's just uh, fun. That's interesting. It also, it also sounds very uh, like you'd hear this a version of this song in a musical. Yeah, you know, I know there was like, uh, what was the, what was the song? Um, and there was music and wonderful roses. That uh, one uh, that Paul did. Yeah. 
whatever uh, till there was you till there was you which yes. was a, which is from a musical so we have actually the music man right we have had we have had uh, numbers from musicals mm-hmm. under this and this to me feels like it could have been in a thing like the music man you know okay. i've just seen a face and then just everyone's marching down the, the street and it just gets we just met the, that's right and then the, and the more people gather more yeah. people gather more people gather and it gets bigger and bigger well i would probably enjoy it more in that context than i do on the album i do like the song i think mm-hmm. it's really good this is not my like my favorite song that's fine of, doesn't have album, to be. we don't have to we don't have to syncopate on everything yeah, yeah. here but you, fine. but here's an interesting fact about i've just seen a face tell me is recorded at the same time as yesterday oh okay. same same session um what's interesting about i've seen a face to me and about yesterday and one other song which we'll we'll get to is that Paul McCartney had kind of you know he was he was in love with Jane Asher he's spending a lot of time with Jane Asher mm-hmm. John Lennon was married he knew his wife he was no longer courting her the honeymoon period was over they had a kid you know a good way to escape the kid go into your music room and write music yeah that's a really good way to escape your kid the squalling brat i'm going to go write some music for the movie i'm doing paul mccartney didn't have that he was in love so I kind of feel like he was, he was kind of falling behind Lennon a bit in his songwriting output. You know, a lot of the McCartney songs in this album seem to me like make work. You know, that he mm. was putting in some this filling in. You know, and then maybe he realized it and really kicked it into high gear because we get this song and then we get the next song, mm-hmm. which are both out. You know, it's an absolute masterpiece. Which just punches you in the face. Yeah, yeah. and then there's one other song which we'll talk yeah, about. Yeah, well, and then we have another song. <laughs> yeah, and so yeah. You know, it's well. And here's here's a, a little interesting fact for you, because Paul's anti gin really liked the the tune for the song. I thought you were saying Paul was anti gin. No, like, no, that was the one drink Paul, he would not drink. Yeah. He was anti gin. I'm glad that you went there, because that makes so much sense. But anyway, yeah, his anti gin liked liked the song so much. It was actually called Anti Gin's theme for a while until he wrote the lyrics for it, and Aww. then it was given the. And you know, do you know where what uh where anti gin later appeared? Uh, Uncle Albert anti gin. Yeah, and let him in. That's right. Yeah, let him yeah. in. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Now, right. um, that would be interesting. Uh, little uh, Beatles quiz is list all the original titles of uh, Beatles songs, mm-hmm. uh, and then you got to guess yeah, what the uh, later ones. We'll come were. to that on Revolver as well. We talk uh, about it then. Okay, very good. Anyway, this and and the nice thing about like, of course, we're going to get to the next song, which is Wow. Um, <laughs> but but because this is so fast paced, yeah. and so bouncy, and so I'm falling, and all this, uh, it I, I think it sets up the next song really, really well. Yeah. It cleanses the palate, gets you going, and then yeah. when you, the next one, just like whoa. You're right. Yeah. You're right in a way. In a way, you're right. That is my, that's as far as Dave will ever go with me. <laughs> Dave's a real Paul McCartney to my uh, George Harrison. It's like, oh, that's great. That's almost well, right. Well, we'll talk about it because the next song is Yesterday. Hey, We've hey, kind of pussyfooted around C it. C plus. We've around Good it. for you. No, I agree with you. I agree with you that it works. Up to a point. But I agree with you in theory. I, will I tell agree you, with you. I will tell you in a bit. But not really. I agree I with will you. explain... Please explain. I will explain. Please explain. I will explain in a bit. Please let's, correct my mistakes. First, let's talk about the most covered song in history, according to the Guinness Book of Records. Yeah. Happy birthday. Most covered song. Not most sung by people in a living room <laughs> or in a dining room. Yesterday is the most covered song. Is it? Yes. At some time, it was rated as the most covered song by the, book, the book of Guinness Book of Records. Really? Yeah. That feels very There's hard over to 2, believe. over 2,000 covers well, of this song. Well, the people at Guinness who make that book, they're a bunch of drunks. They got access to all the Guinness... You know, they can't always be right. That doesn't so seem correct. There's two stories to this song. All right, we're moving on to yesterday. Here we go. Okay. Um, so George Martin says that he first heard the song when the... Be- Remember when we talked about the Beatles residency at the George Sank Hotel in Paris when yes. they were playing there? He says that he first heard Paul play it there. At that time, yes, it was called Scrambled Eggs at that time. It was given the make-work title just because there was oh, no lyrics for it. Oh, my lady has such lovely legs. <laughs> yes. 
<laughs> and uh, it was actually Oh My Baby. Oh, as your baby yeah. has this lovely legs. How I Love Your Legs. How I Love Your Legs. I yeah, apologize. That was the, but, um, so what did, but if that's true, that means that this song sat unrecorded for two albums before it appeared on Help. And why do you find that hard to believe? Because it's such a great song. Now. It's hard to believe that they would rather record uh, Words of Love or Honey Don't right. than Yesterday. But no, when you if you've got these two songs together, like here's the thing. I'm going to play, like, look at two albums back, and, like, you've got all these boppy teenage girls, and you can play one of two songs for for them right now. Yeah. What's one? One is Honey Don't, and that's going to get everyone dancing. No, but you know the girls are going to be dancing to Honey Don't, right? Yeah. Like, they're going to be bopping. Everyone's going to have a good time. Honey Don't. Yeah. Now, here's the other one. I'm really bummed out about yesterday. I, like, I wish things were better. <laughs> I would, I'm gonna, you're gonna get one of those two songs. Now you're picturing the teen, like, picture all the screaming girls from, she, from the Ed Sullivan Theater. I, like, who, which song do you play? Like, imagine the Ed Sullivan Theater and they play their songs and then yesterday comes out and then the whole room goes boo. Cause they're not, they you, they're not, not ready for it. He played it live a lot. They're not ready for it yet. That's baloney. So. I agree with okay. I don't agree with you up to a point. because I don't think I don't think the Beatles cared that much about what the teeny bop like what the girls thought of their song. Maybe songs. two albums back they, they didn't? thought they thought about what other bands thought of their music. Okay, that was important to them. Right, like the interband competition, like what the Who were doing, or what the Rolling Stones were doing, or what the Beach Boys were doing. That was important to the to the Beatles. What Cindy Lou and Mary Sue thought about what their song. I don't think the Beatles cared very much about that. Oh, okay. You know, I think when they were performing live, maybe more so, but then that's just me. But he played yesterday live, and people screeched and and fell over at that before one too. it was on the album. Oh well, I don't think they played many of their songs before they. That's were on. what I'm saying. Like you put it on this album at this point. Yeah. When but they it, weren't playing Ticket to Ride a year before it appeared on Help. Okay, but what I'm saying is this is a this is a bummer song. It <laughs> so? is. It's a, no because the concerts have their up and downs. But who's but what name a comparable song like that they that they had on any other al- other albums that were just like you know there's I'm a loser but even I'm a loser is boppier than this. Mm-hmm. This is this is a full this is a risky song. You're putting it near your, the end of your album and, and and to the point where I think like. You know, they even know this. Like, this song's a bummer. This might not work. We better, you know, what I we're going to do? We're going to take a safety and we're going to put Dizzy okay. Miss Lizzie at the end. I, th- I think to you're bring wrong. Up, to bring I th- up the. Uh, I still, thing. I think you're wrong. All right. I, I do agree that there was questions about the song. First question was Paul McCartney could not believe that he wrote this song. He refused to believe that this song wasn't a case of, you know what it's called? Cryptomnesia, which is when you. When Superman you writes sub- a song for you. <laughs> was when you. Crypto, not Krypton. Cryptomnesia, okay. when you subconsciously plagiarize. Ah. So he thought that that's what it was, that he had taken an older song and and somehow had come into because he because the other story about how he wrote the song is that he dreamed it at Jane Astor's parents' house. He lived in the attic there okay. on Wimpole Street. So he drew, he just woke up one morning and he had dreamed the song and it just came into his mind as this beautiful tune. And he just went ran over to the piano and composed it then and there. Well, it makes sense to me that, oh, that... And that's why it had the filler lyrics of right, scrambled right. Well, eggs. This is why it makes sense to me. Like, uh, he, Here's the way I'm picturing it in my fictional reality. Mm-hmm. It's like he came up with a, th- with a, with a tune. Yeah. The tune is beautiful. Yeah. We know the tune's beautiful. And throws the scrambled eggs thing on it to hold as a holding pattern. Now, the lyrics to me in this sound like almost any blues song. Which is like, I had it all, I lost it all. Mm-hmm. You know, I wish it was the past. Yeah. I'm getting old and my baby's left me. You know, and, and, you know, you, you, you start writing those, you start listening to that kind of stuff. It's not a million miles to you. You're going like, I, I wish it was yesterday. 
But and by the way, once again, he's like I don't know which of these two songs was written before, but there's another song on this album that covers the same ground. The other problem you're having is you're thinking about the song as you know it. Mm-hmm. When Paul McCartney r- r- wrote it and recorded it, or right. wrote it and performed it first, it was thought of as a band song. So it was rehearsed and played as a band. Right. But George Martin and Paul thought it was too heavy that way. And so after Paul had finally come to grip, he would actually play the song for people. He'd be like, play the song for them. And he'd be like, do you know this song? Like, did I write this song or is this someone else's song? And he would play it for friends. He'd be like, no, I don't know that song. I mean, maybe it's yours. So when he finally, you know, came to grips with the fact that maybe it was his own song and brought it to the band and they started to rehearse it and stuff like that, it was going to be like a full band song. But it was just seen as too heavy. Yeah. And then it was also felt as too spare for just like an acoustic guitar. And so George suggested to Paul, why don't we try strings, which Paul was very resistant to. Because to Paul and to the rest of the Beatles, strings were secchi. They, they were Mount of Vanity. They were, you know, the parents, the music your parents listened yeah. to on, on BBC Late Real programming. Real L7, yeah. Yeah. And so, you know, Martin had to, like, you know, cajole him. And, and he played him string quartet music to give him a sense of what it would sound like. And so finally Paul agreed and he said, okay, fine, we'll do it. But no vibrato, which is kind of, like, impossible for for trained uh trained string string musicians you know uh to play because you learn vibrato very early on and it's what makes makes the difference between you sounding like a professional and you sounding like a child playing a violin yeah. so obviously they didn't really go along with it they just said well sure and actually we'll tone it down a bit yeah maybe. they will tone it down a bit and actually there's a story that george had them play it in two different versions and paul couldn't tell the difference between the no vibrato or minimal vibrato and the normal playing so it was really just a just more to soothe his sense of, of what was right and wrong. So, you know, yeah, you have that. So you have, so you have different things going on. One is that none of the Beatles play on it. None of the Beatles play on this track except for Paul. Mm-hmm. So the other Beatles aren't on it. They were, they were there. At least George was there. You can hear him in the, in the, on the recording. You can hear him talking. So you can hear him talking. You can hear him talking when the string quartet was being, was being recorded. Okay, you can't hear him in the song. No, no, no. Oh, but, okay. Yeah, but during the recording, you could hear point, him. Like, you could hear George in the yeah. background just talking. In between like, tracks, you okay. can hear him talking. And then, so you have that element. So that's kind of sensitive, right? Mm-hmm. The other Beatles aren't on this song. It's kind of wimpy. It's kind of a syrupy song. Mm-hmm. It's right? a risky song, yeah. And, no, no, I'm just talking about it as sound, not as what the lyrics are. Okay. Because, once again, the Beatles don't care about that. All right. And so, and then, so I think that's why it kind of gets hidden. You know, it's not on, it's not in the movie. It's not on side one. It should be on side one. It should be the final track on side one. Mm-hmm. Okay. The final song should be Ticket to Ride and No Dizzy Miss Lizzie. Okay. But because it's a soundtrack album, you know, it has to have all the soundtrack songs on, on the first side. So it's just a matter of that's that's what it is. I think it would be too potent a song for the film. There's no place you could put this song in the film and do no, it but justice. No, I'm just talking about it as a record. I'm not talking about it as in the Ab- movie. Absolutely, yeah. I'm talking about it as a record. Yeah. It should be on side one. It should be a feature song. Mm-hmm. And it shouldn't be tucked away as the penultimate song on you know on the album which is generally the yeah. generally that's for the, your very worst song is that the true i'm not joking your no, very no, worst going, song is the second to last song on an album then you kick it up again in fact they, i was going like it feels like they're going to hide their love away and this is the song that they're hiding mm-hmm. away it's like mm-hmm. just tuck it in no one will notice so yeah there's lots of reasons for it i mean so you know you have paul not wanting to offend the other beatles you have a song that they're kind of embarrassed about. It was and it was never released as a single because the other Beatles scotched it as a as a single release. Yeah, because it didn't suit. It wasn't the band. It wasn't the band sound. It no. was Paul singing. It was to new. A string, string it was quartet. something completely new. You know, it it really was like. But it, it's it was jarring. It was new and jarring, but also mind opening. Yeah, because what George Martin did when he 
brought a string quartet to the Beatles was he created the possibility for Eleanor Rigby. He created the possibility yeah, yeah. for a day in the life. Like you don't get so the next you, album yeah, without this song. You have this is this is now yeah yeah you just played a preview of yeah. the next album. Yeah, yeah. The other interesting thing is that Paul had a hand in the arrangements for the album. Like it wasn't just George Martin by himself. He did it with Paul. So um, there's a bit in it that George went, George Martin wished he wrote himself, which is this kind of a cello groan going uh, in the song. And you hear it goes do do in the song. And then also there's a part which he didn't like that Paul insisted on, which is the first violin plays this really high note on in the at beginning of the third verse. This is really, if you listen to the song, you can hear this really high violin sound, which which George Martin thought was a little dull, but uh, Paul insisted on it, and you know Paul was the artiste. Paul was the guy. And George was the facilitator, and so he was happy there to do it. His artiste, yes, sir, good idea. Yeah, and so yeah, a brilliant song, absolutely, massively, massively great song. Surprising that it isn't my favorite song on the album, but it's it's right up there. Same with me, but I think just because we've heard it so much, yeah, it's hard to get excited about it. It's such a it's not such new a part to us. Of our, we yeah, grew up with it. Yeah, it's such a part of our. Of just the the wood paneling of our rec room of our life, you know, like you just it's just there, right? You know, you just and then escape I, and the then song. ironically, uh, to people who are fans of the music at the time, it's a song kind of about nostalgia and longing for the past, yeah. And like it actually works on that level too when you're actually remembering the song mm-hmm. from then. So sure. it feeds on itself in a in a wonderful way. Sure. All right. So uh, now let's... now it comes to Dave and my favorite song. <laughs> okay. Now, we, basically, when we started this podcast, we went like. How can we get around to talking about Dizzy Miss Lizzie? And uh, we went like, look, we're gonna have to, we're gonna have to really swim through a lot of mud. Yes. To get to this, to this island piece of gold, of, uh, gold. <laughs> and uh, this nugget of gold in the middle of all this drama. I mean, there's no reason you wouldn't put it on the end of your album because it's oh, the best song. Because it's, it's absolutely all the best. Been leading up to this, Paul when... McCartney himself, and I'm not joking, said it was one of their best recordings. Right. Of course he did. Why wouldn't he? Because the tape was so nice. And here's the thing: it was some of the best recording tape they ever used mm. for this song. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, Paul, and you know what? They, they they know they know what their best thing is. Look, guys, I'm sure there's someone out there who enjoys Dizzy Miss Lizzie. But <laughs> once again, when you're making up your uh, favorite uh, Beatles songs uh, mixtape, uh, you're gonna fill up your first tape. You're gonna fill up your second tape. You're gonna fill up your third tape. You're gonna go to the store. You're gonna buy three more tapes. Dizzy Miss Lizzie still isn't on it. You're gonna fill up another tape, and then possibly you're gonna buy another tape. Then after that, fill up that tape. Dizzy Miss Lizzie comes on it. <laughs> Possibly, yeah, possibly, and uh, and there you are, and it's you know it's if you were at a cl- if you were like uh, you know I agree watch- with you, but only somewhat. If you were if were- I think you were missing two tapes that would have been filled before. <laughs> Miss Lizzie. You know, if they're rocking out and you saw this live, mm. you'd go, those guys are having a good time. Like to me, I hear this and I go like, oh well, they gave us a nice uh, album. I can't begrudge them having a good time. But it's to me, this is the Cannonball Run two. <laughs> Of Beatles songs, it's like everyone's having a better time doing it yeah. than we are paying, <laughs> listening, being listening the audience for it. Well, even the Beatles did not like this song that much. Oh, right. And in fact, the reason this song is on the album is when they didn't have any more songs. <laughs> really, they you were done. At this point, put an ad for Coca-Cola they were, on it. They the were dry. But the other thing is that Capitol needed two more songs for one of their albums. Okay. So the Beatles had to record two more songs. They had no songs. Mm-hmm. They had no songs. They hadn't recorded live. They hadn't rec- done covers for a couple of years because mm-hmm. they were doing twenty-minute-long concerts with just their own material. Right before they got chased off the stage by jelly beans and screaming fans. And so, Wait a second, what was the jelly beans? People oh were yeah, throwing people jelly would throw jelly beans at them. Why? Because uh, in an early interview, George said that they, he liked jelly beans, and so forever after. Well, actually, he said we like. Um, oh, what's the British word for jelly beans? There's jelly babies. Jelly babies. Yeah. Which are actually a softer, like a jujube, I think, is what yeah, a jelly baby is more painful, like. Yeah, that's painful. Yeah, but... Well, a Canadian band named Bare Naked Ladies made uh, the mistake, too, of uh, did that with Kraft Dinner. And 
You can't go to a Bare Naked Ladies concert without people hucking full boxes of craft <laughs> dinner at the band. So and it's like, ha ha, so it's imagine, still funny. Yeah, you can imagine how much fun it was for the for people playing while being having stuff thrown at them. So, um, so yeah, they had they had these two songs that they had to do. So let's talk a little bit about what I think is terrible, but some people don't mind, <laughs> okay. which is the American albums. Oh, okay. Because what happened was, because you're Capital, an American, by the way, David, so you can discuss these. I can discuss that without if, any problem. And, if um, I do, I might sound a little bit uh, anti-American. <laughs> well, okay. Now there's a guy who worked for Capitol Records. He actually was a jazz guy. His name was Dave Dexter Jr. Sounds like a jazz name. He was he was a jazz guy. He and he was a talented A and R guy. He signed Frank Sinatra to Capitol. He signed he signed he discovered uh, Nat King Cole. You know, like he. He had a lot of like done. big names. Then yeah. you're done. You've done big those names. two things. And there's you're more. Done. Dinah Washington. Big names. Don't names. need to do any more. You're done. Big names. And I mean, some of the great Capitol albums he was an A and R guy on. Some of Frank Sinatra's like the some of his great theme albums from 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 that time. I wish I could remember the titles of them, but I can't. In the wee hours and come fly like that. with me. Perhaps? I think that's a reprise one, but that's a similar idea. Something yeah. music for lovers. One. Yeah, that's probably one. Yeah, music for lovers. Yeah, yeah, for sure. So um yeah so you know he was no dummy, but he was a jazz head. Had very little time for your rock and roll. Very little time. Any time for jazz when cigarettes? EMI, <laughs> probably. When <laughs> EMI purchased, um, EMI purchased Capitol Records, the British music company EMI purchased Capitol Records in the fifties. Dave Dexter was put in charge of of um, kind of vetting British acts for suitability as American okay. to be American. So he would listen to these and he'd say invariably no. <laughs> They'd play, how about this one, Dave? No. That was his response. So when he was heard the Beatles for the first time, his response was no. You know, as in no, these guys are no Frank Sinatra. No, these guys are no Nat King Cole, right? So eventually what happened, so first few albums, the first kind of Beatles material wasn't even released by Capitol in the States. It was released later on. It was released by VJ Records. Okay. They licensed, uh, or they, they licensed Please Please Me and the first singles. And then Swan, uh, because what happened with VJ was because the president of the company was gambling with the money of, he was using it to pay gambling debts. So they weren't paying the royalties. So they lost their license for the songs. They didn't stop them from releasing them, but they lost their license. Mm-hmm. So then Swan Records released, uh, um, She Loves You. But, um, VJ actually, they released, um, uh, what was called Introducing Dot, 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 you know, the ellipse, The Beatles in 1964. They released that one to kind of cash in on the popularity of, of, I want to hold your hand. So it was basically please, please me with this kind of a minus love me do and ask me why. So they kind of mixed it up because they wanted, they're going to do 14 songs, but they're like, you know what? American albums should only have 12 songs in them. So let's t- drop two songs for no reason at all. So they just dropped. Yeah. Called an American dozen. Yeah. And so then, so then finally when, um, when Brian Epstein got the Beatles onto the Ed Sullivan's show, he used that as a hammer to finally force Capitol to release I want to hold your hand as a single. Yeah, you'd have to. You'd have to go like, "Hey, did you notice this? What? Oh, yeah. Okay." So finally, they had a big hit. So what did the, what what happens then? Well, the everyone uh, cashes in. And everyone the cashes money for in. All. So what the American label did was because the British albums were fourteen songs, they took two songs off the albums, and because there were singles that weren't on the albums, they added those to the albums. Okay. So they were able able in 1964 to release "Meet the Beatles," the Beatles' second album. A Hard Day's Night also came out, but that was on United Artists. Okay. But they were able to take the second side, because the United Artists album only had the soundtrack songs, the Beatles songs. The second side was instrumental tracks. 
Really? So, yeah. Oh, now now because they weren't they didn't have enough songs. They only had the songs that were in the on this actual now, movie. Now, Meet the Beatles came out after Introducing the Beatles. Introducing the Beatles is not a. It's not one of these. It's not. It's not an actual album. It's just the VJ version of "Please Please Me." Oh, okay. All yeah, right. Yeah. All right. Just like you can't introduce and then meet. That's all I'm saying. <laughs> it's like I've already met them. So yeah, meet the Beatles. It doesn't matter. They don't care. Don't look for scents here because these are all different <laughs> companies competing with each other, just filling the charts with, okay. with stuff. There's even one called uh, the, F- the Four Seasons versus the Beatles that VJ put Wh- out. So wh- the, what? What? So they mix. What? They mix some Beatles songs with Four v- Seasons with songs. V- Vivaldi. No, no, no. The Four Seasons. The band. The Four Seasons. Oh, okay. <laughs> you know, big girls don't cry. <laughs> Okay. I thought they were doing Vivaldi's The Four yeah. Seasons, and no. then like they'd have the Beatles no, no, no. in there too. No, no, no. Like, well, one uh, we can get uh, on the cheap. So yeah, they were just they were okay. just squeezing blood from the Beatles stone, right? Versus. So you've got geez. Meet the Beatles, the Beatles second album, something new, and the Beatles story. Those all came out in nine. Sorry, and Beatles sixty five, which is weird because it all they all came out in sixty four. <laughs> okay. So, and then and, and every teenager went broke. <laughs> then in 65 they put out the early beatles which was basically please please me with a bunch yeah. of stuff changed around beatles four i'm oh, sorry beatles six i mean to say and that was the album that they were short two songs on mm-hmm. so they came to the beatles and said we need two songs you got to record two songs so that's why we're so lucky to have dizzy miss lizzie <laughs> and another song which I did not make you listen to because it's not very good as well, called Bad Boy, which is another Larry Williams song. Okay. Dizzy, Dizzy, Miss, Willi- Dizzy Miss Lizzie is a Larry Williams song. And there's a Larry Williams song on uh, on the that EP, the Long Tall Sully EP. Which one's that? Slow Down? I can't remember what it is now. Sorry. Sorry, everybody. My mind's gone. Fried. Fried with all this information. But let me just... So then... Here's the other thing. So then we have Help, another album that stuff has changed on. Mm-hmm. Things were taken off Help. Like, I've just seen a face. That they was, took that off help? They took it off help. And I they, could not be more outraged. They put it onto Rubber Soul, oh. and they took Drive My Car and yeah. Nowhere Man off Rubber Soul yeah. to make it more like a folk rock album oh. to kind of cash in on the folk rock craze that could was not going be more angry. sweeping the States. Dave, warm up my time machine. I'm going back to kick some ass. The last album to okay, to get the, the, the Dave De- Dexter works was uh, Revolver. The other thing he did was he added reverb to the albums. So he Ooh. he made it sound more echoey than they actually were. Why? What are you doing? He thought it sounded better that you way. You like to stick him in a tunnel. Then he doesn't ni- like good tunnel singing. But in 1966, Dave Dexter Jr. was demoted from his position. Good. I think because of the Beatles. <laughs> mm-hmm. And I think because they were kind of unhappy with what he was doing with their albums. Right. They should be. And after that, the remaining Beatles albums were untouched. Were not songs weren't taken off or changed or moved around. There I wasn't. Hope he was put there in wasn't an echo two white albums. Where he heard his own reverb for the rest of his life. There was one more non-album. There was one more album made out of Beatles tracks, but it wasn't because they took songs off Beatles' album. So, um, now, Dave, uh, they've these uh, these American albums uh, are are now being released uh, now on. Uh, yeah, on the, they're putting uh, out they're putting out a box set of them, but they're also re- available separately. Okay, because I have uh, I have two I have the Beatles. It's called the Capital Albums, uh, Volume One and Two. I have those ones, and they go up to I believe they go up to Help, and I would love it if I could have Rubber Soul. Mm-hmm. Yesterday and Today, the American version of Revolver, and then the Hey Jude collection, all on a, a separate box set that looked like the the Capitol album, so, so I could have all those albums in that one series, but I can't, because they decided, and I don't blame them, they actually have remastered all these albums. So they're all brand new mastered, mastered tracks uh, of the 13, I think it's 13 albums, Beatles albums, that were the American versions. But what we don't get, people, and I think this is kind of bad, is we don't get the Canadian versions. Wait, whoa, 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 actually, whoa, wait, 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 wait,
Now, Dave, yeah. you can't fool me on this because I am a Canadian. Yes. You're telling me there was Canadian versions yes. of the Beatles album. Yes, there were. Are you thinking of the band The Beavers? No, I'm not. Okay. All right. Please continue. They um, had Meet the Beavers, Introducing the Beavers, <laughs> Once Again, Here's the Beavers, and nope. Leave it to the Beavers. And Re-Beaver. No, that's not... <laughs> Re-Beaver. <laughs> that's okay. not the one I'm thinking of. These were actually... And their follow-up album, Damn. Because, <laughs> because you know, Canada... Americans may not know this, but Canada has a much closer relationship, and particularly in the 60s, had a much closer relationship to Britain than it than America does. Absolutely, right? yes. So when the Beatles came out, they actually came out here pretty much simultaneously in, in, in Canada as they did in, in England. So, um, But because we're Canadians, we can't resist changing things around. Actually, the first album didn't come out. It was actually the second album came yeah, out. Our Beatle boots uh, uh, were snow boots. Yeah. They just had to be, just because of the So weather. in 1963, uh, there was a Canadian album called Beatlemania, exclamation mark, with the Beatles. Beatlemania, with the Beatles. So it was basically 14 songs with the Beatles, mm-hmm. absolutely the same, with the Beatles, as, but it just had a different cover, and it was called Beatlemania, with the Beatles. And the reason it has a different cover is so it can say printed in Canada with that cute little beaver on the printed <laughs> in Canada. And then after that, then they played catch up. So they issued uh, Twist and Shout. Once again, it was 14 tracks. Because we're Canada. We don't need to have 12 tracks. We can no. have 14 if we want. And uh, but We got more time. But at this time, someone had gone insane. And so they do it, Please Please Me Wrong. So what? It, How do they do Please Please Me Wrong? It starts with Anna. Uh-huh. It starts with Anna. Yeah. It doesn't start with the counting. One, two, three. three. Doesn't, so it doesn't... It, uh, I started standing there isn't on the album. Oh, that's no good. That's bad. It's that's dumb. That's very bad. Right? And then it ends with She Loves You. It, instead, it, of twist, instead of ending with uh, Twist and Show. Now that's bad. Twist it's and Show not... is the second to last song. Uh-huh. Wrong. Okay, that's bad. That's not the Four how, Seasons versus the very, Beatles bad, but that's pretty bad. How very Canadian of us. And then, and then uh, they did one more called The Beatles' Long Tall Sally, mm-hmm. which kind of collects that EP, the Long Tall Sally EP. Some leftovers from the Hard Day's Night soundtrack that weren't, that because uh, once again, it was North America, so we only got the one side <laughs> with the Beatles songs on it. So it collects some songs from that, and it, it actually takes some songs off of Beatlemania with the Beatles and puts it onto this album what? for 12 songs. What are we doing? And It's a madhouse. But after that, after the after uh, long, the Beatles' Long Tall Sully, yeah. America caught up with Canada and then the capital Canada had to get in line. And, and then and we all the unified. Yeah. And from that point on, we yeah. went, listen, you know what's going to happen? We're all going to have all the albums the same. And uh, sorry, I'm on. I just got to pick up this phone. What's that? The Beatles did what? <laughs> Broke up what? Oh, <laughs> but we just got it all in order. Okay, I'll tell. I'll tell everybody. Is it okay that I'm telling him in the uh, year 2014 on a podcast? You don't know what a podcast is? Ah, it's okay. Don't worry about it. Listen, did those did the did the Beavers album was that real? No, I didn't say Justin Bieber. I said Be- Listen, I can't talk. I got to get back to the future. Okay, bye. Sorry, I can't hear you. I'm talking to a pen. <laughs> um So yeah, that's In the, the future s- phones are pens? Future phones are pens. <laughs> So that's the story of the American and the Canadian. That was a fantastic... Now, do we have anything else to talk about on this show? Yes, we do. Dave, you should have left that to the end. That was clearly the climax. Was it really? That was... Yeah, we're now well, going to... talk about Dave, because... we're going to now dizzy Miss Lizzie here's this the, podcast. No, because we have two great songs coming after this. Okay. But I just want to say, after they recorded Dizzy Miss Lizzie and Bad Boy, yeah. there were, the songs were mixed. The next day, they were sent via air freight to Capitol okay. in, in Los Angeles. Yeah. And five weeks later, they were in the stop, shop as Beatles 6. Oh, okay. Yeah. All right. Nice. So, okay. So let's talk a little bit about the B-sides. All right. Because we had two we had two singles that came out, both of them released from songs from Help okay. or taken off Help. One is uh, Ticket to Ride, and its B-side was the rather fantastic song, Yes, It Is. And we were talking a little earlier about the uh, volume, the 
volume tone pedal or whatever you want to call it mm-hmm. that kind of gives that crying sound to the guitar that is on I Need You. And I think it's kind of just sort of added to I Need You for no real reason. But on Yes It Is, it is absolutely beautiful in the song. Which was recorded first of those two? Well, um, I Need You was recorded, and Yes It Is re- was recorded the next day. Okay, so yes, maybe, it is was they, one maybe of the... they figured it out and went like, hey, you know how we should yeah, use this. Yeah. It's actually properly. Well, it could go two ways. I mean, maybe John heard it and wrote this song with that in mind. Oh, really? Okay. But oh, um, Interesting. This was one of the songs considered for the for the Help soundtrack, but it was, was not picked. It wasn't even picked for the album, so it was put as used as a... As, as a, a B. As a B-side, yeah. Okay. So... They should do. They should do an album called "Meet the B Sides." <laughs> it's called Past Masters, but yeah. All right, that's good too. <laughs> the um, I think of this as another one of John Lennon's secretly he's a romantic songs. You, you don't know, think he's you don't think he's out out of the romantic. He's got closet. his hard shell. He's got a hard shell. You know, he likes to kick you in the head, likes to call you a spaz, likes to make you know insult you and call you a wanker and stuff like that, and would you know sooner punch you than say hi to you. Aww. But secretly inside. He just wants to be loved. As we've talked about, the the bullies have the softest mm-hmm. center. But what I like about the song is it has an almost fevered, like gothic feeling to it, like in the evocation evocation of like the uh, car- color scarlet, and it's like the possible dead lover mentioned in the lyrics, you know. And it's just this kind of weird, almost like Al- like Edgar Allan Poe kind of feeling. To oh, the song. interesting. Okay, Do you know what I mean? And just it has a real heightened emotional element to it. I really, really like that. And I was reading. And, and um, did John John perform this one? Yes. Yeah. yeah. And it took them quite a while, actually, because they did the, they obviously did the, the basic track. They did the, the instruments. Yeah. But it took them quite a while because they sang in unison, the three, the three singers, uh, John, George, and Paul. And so it took them quite a while to get the harmonies to work. They didn't want to overdub it. So they did it all together. And so it took them about 13 takes to get it right. So they really worked on the song. Now, lyric, lyric wise, it just reminded me what, like, for red is the color that will make me blue. It just reminded me of the babies in black. Mm-hmm. And that makes me blue. Yeah. Okay. If you have all the uh, Beatles color songs. Yeah. There. But this is a, I think this is a stronger song of the two. Yeah. And Lennon wasn't that big on it. And I think he thought, he just, to him, he said it was just basically a rewrite of This Boy. But I think it's a much uh-huh. better song than This Boy. I and mean, I know that it uses similar, uh, it uses similar, it uses similar rhythm okay. and similar kind of uh, doo wop kind of, co- you know, chording and stuff like that as This Boy. But it's a, I think it's a better song than This Boy. I think this is like, this this boy was kind of like the run run up to to a great song like well, yes it is. Sometimes when you wear your heart on your sleeve, it's embarrassing to you later. Yeah, especially if you're that if you're the tough bloke, if you're the <laughs> tough guy on this uh, on this podcast. You know what that's like. Yeah, it's interesting reading um, Ian McDonald's write up about this song because he talks about he kind of connects it to Dylan and to Hendrix, and and that all three of them had wrote about this kind of a uh, a kind of a. a an ideal female figure, the sort of belle dame that they all all kind of yearned for. Now, were they... Whether it came out of mother issues or whatever. Dylan went in a different kind of way with it. Um, Hendrix and Lennon kind of replaced uh, the feminine in their lives with, with, with drugs. Yeah. But Dylan kind of, you know, he got married and settled down into this sort of, sort of idyllic fatherhood that lasted for a while until his own natural inclination to ramble took hold again. But, you know, for a while, th- th- this kind of this kind of thing had a grip on him that he needed, you know. And so it's kind of interesting because, uh, so uh, McDonald says about it, he says, like, in the folk tradition, the love-death figure traditionally dwells in a twilight borderland of the male psyche where masculine identity dissolves. So you can have this sort of heightened, very sentimental, very romantic song because it's not a masculine song anymore. It's become this sort of feminine, you know, masculine-feminine sort of I thing. I hear you. All right. And he thought that the pride that Lennon, Lennon curses in the song stems from his attachment to this feminine ideal. So 
he so he felt that he was a personally unique that he so someone like Cynthia Lennon, for instance, even though she loved him, even though she was a perfectly worthy, lovable person, a beautiful woman, she wasn't good enough for John Lennon because he needed someone that was unique as him, that could mirror his own uniqueness, hmm. you know, which he couldn't do. I wonder if that would have worked. Well, it did work because he found Yoko. Yoko, yeah. Yeah. And then that, that was fulfilled by her, you know. And so you wonder hmm. if maybe that kind of took away, maybe that kind of soured the song for him in a way too. That's why it became just a rewrite of this boy. It didn't have, any, it didn't have the same meaning for him after that, you know. Right. No, that's interesting. Okay. Yeah, hey, interesting. nice depth in the B-side there, work huh? <laughs> Well done. So let's come to one of... You know what? You've probably talked about that more than uh, anyone else. <laughs> Why? I don't know. That was just like some good uh, good depth. Uh... I stole it from another book. But... Oh, good for you. All right. So then uh, let's talk about the B-side for help, which I think is a great song as well. Okay. Which, which is... is I'm Down. Yes. There's not much you can say about it, but what I think is fantastic about the song is it recorded the very same day, the same sessions as I've Just Seen a Face. Yep. Yesterday... Mm-hmm. was recorded, followed by I'm Down. Don't you think that's crazy? <laughs> Yesterday, and then I'm Down? I can, I can definitely see, uh, I've just seen a face and I'm Down. You know, they're mm-hmm. both kind of the bouncy, yeah, going, yeah, yeah. it's, okay. This is but my... he just recorded, he just recorded the, the, the guitar track for, for Yesterday. Oh, okay. The string quartet was recorded three days later. So I just want to point that out. <laughs> sure. Now, sorry, I've just got a weird uh, childhood memory of this song. Where this uh, this song was playing over and over again for some reason. Someone thought it was funny when we were in a bouncy castle, and so <laughs> that's how you just. And it was just like a fun song. Yeah, I, I it was a fun song to bounce in a bouncy castle yeah, yeah. too. No, oh, it's a great song. I mean, it's got Lennon on the his crazy organ in it, and yep. it's it's just. Uh, how can you laugh when you know I'm down? How was, can you laugh when you know I'm well, down? Well, I think Paul McCartney was having a little bit of fun with John. I think I think he was I think he was kind of making fun of the blues format, but he's also kind of making fun of Help, you know, and so he's. You know, you know what I mean. So the song is kind of it's it's tongue in cheek. It's not a serious song. It's now was this this fun. song was not in Help at all? No, no, this was just a B side. It's too bad. This song would have worked in Help to me. It would have been fun. Yeah, like I'm down. That also fun. works. And also, you know, how can you laugh when you know I'm down? Everyone's laughing at them in the movies, yeah. and they're miserable. These these songs were recorded too late yesterday, and these songs were recorded too late to be be considered. For and, the and once again, this is one of the many many Beatles songs where they talk about buying rings. There's a yeah. lot of there's a lot of <laughs> isn't that funny though not a diamond Once ring again, specifically here because it's the reason they sing about it is because it's just a fill in it doesn't mean anything their lyrics don't aren't really that important to them so they just use trite phrases to fill in yeah ring rhymes with lots of things right so if you have ring you can have ing you can have singing you can have whatever you want yeah, it also sounds good it just sounds, yeah the word ring sounds yeah. good to sing that's true you know and, that's and true. we're hitting it at the end but even in the middle yeah you know yeah so let's just one final thing we'll say before we close out on this is that. Up to this point, the Beatles were pretty productive and really, you know, and just really um, economical in their recordings. But for Help, it's strange. They actually had two songs that did not make it. They spent a lot of time working on them, um, but they could not reach a version they were happy with. The first one is If You've Got Trouble, which is going to be the Ringo song. That would, would have been the Ringo song. Act Naturally wouldn't have been on the album if, if, if You've Got Trouble worked. Okay. But it's just kind of a lumpen rock and song and it doesn't really go anywhere and it doesn't really work and even Ringo seems to know it because there's a part in the song where he, you know where he would like to say things like you know come on George rock on for me and this song he goes take it anyone <laughs> so you know it's kind of or anybody but it, you know it's just kind of he Henny Youngman's it yeah he just kind of knew that this song wasn't really working and, and it just wasn't going to work for him and the other song was called That Means A Lot and the Beatles, they, they worked on this a lot. Like, uh, they, not only did it mean a lot, they worked on a lot. And they worked on, like, lots of different versions of it. It's actually on Anthology. I think on Anthology 2, 
you can hear the various there's a couple of different versions of it because they tried it one way and then they sped it up a bit and tried it a different way more like a ballad more like kind of the the weeping sort of ballads that were popular with some singers at the time like um well the guy they gave it to pj proby and um the guy who sang uh 24 hours from tulsa and uh the man who killed liberty valance Gee, I wish I could remember names of people. You were doing very well at the beginning of this show with things that you were trying to remember, and then immediately you yeah, remember Yeah, I grabbed it. it out of this guy, but I'm not going to remember this guy's name. You know name. what? I think after about an Gene hour, something. you just get plum tuckered out. <laughs> Gene something. But anyway, so they gave, so that's what they did. They gave the song to PJ Proby right. to do. And it's, his version is really quite good. It's quite good. But it didn't, didn't hit. The controversial singer, PJ Proby. Well, sometimes. Because his, pa- his pants ripped on stage during one of, the, one of his concerts. Uh-huh. He was wearing some tight pants and he went to do some sort of moves yeah and he was an american actually he's american who was living in england right and uh, one of many americans who went over there to find famous in england and find tight pants and find tight pants and he went to do some move and his pants tore and oh the shock and outrage the tabloids had with that pj proby <laughs> okay all right kind of forgotten about now but now something uh, something that you've done on our uh, facebook page and our uh, webpage sneakydragon.com yeah. is that you have put uh, occasionally um, different versions of songs that you know best as the Beatles. Yeah. Uh, maybe that would be one that we could put up. Yeah. And by we, I mean you. Yeah. I'm, I'm giving you some work <laughs> if you could fine. do that. Well, yeah, on, on the on our website, I didn't do it on the Facebook page because it's hard to make like a, like everything kind of linked together. Yeah. So what I did was I, I because Hard Don't Days... Don't worry, Facebook's on its last legs. Don't worry about it. Uh, okay. Hard Day's Night, I thought it would be kind of fun because Hard Day's Night is uh, the Beatles album that's all Beatles. There's absolutely no covers on it the first album that's like that. I thought it'd be fun to just make an all covers version yeah. of that album. So on our website, you can see I, I have Brazilian, I got jazz, I've got uh, ska. There is some April wine. We want, we warn you, but it's the most April wine, but it's the most obnoxious video that you've ever seen. <laughs> Maybe and just for that look reason, away. For that reason, you've got to watch it. Yeah. Now, when you're saying that yesterday is the most covered Beatles song, mm-hmm. Well, maybe you could just do a bunch of yesterday's. Maybe as well. I will. Maybe I will. There we go. Um, now, uh, as, as we are getting near the wrap-up point, uh, we've referred to our website, uh, which is sneakydragon.com. You might be asking, why isn't it completely Beatles.com? That's because Dave and I do another podcast called Sneaky uh, Sneaky Dragon, mm-hmm. and uh, you know, if you if you like what we're doing on here, why not uh, check that out? It's a bit more rambly. You're thinking like more rambly. Look, okay, just give it a li- before you judge. Just uh, give it a listen. Listen to that show. Just give it a listen. Sure. It used to be hosted by dave and buck owens uh he uh he then left and now it's me yeah. salute <laughs> anyway so uh so yeah go check that out we uh and and on our sneaky dragon page we also you know put up like we say uh, extra information and uh, that's a good place to drop us a line and yes. uh tell us what you think you can also do so at uh, at our facebook page we also have a sneaky dragon uh twitter account which is sneaky underscore dragon and yeah. we also like hearing from you there and clearly, we've missed some stuff on uh, on uh, in our talks, and we yes. would love to hear from you. And uh, and uh, why not talk about this? Uh, what about this thing? What about that? All of it. Uh, we we love hearing from you. Yes, even just. I mean, we almost always comment on on your comments on Facebook or on the website because so. we gotta have the last word. We have we're to have real the worst Paul McCartney. I would. I was gonna say because we're enthusiastic, but if you want to say I have, to, I have to have the last word, I will agree with you. Oh, well, let's see. Let's see if Dave has the last word on this show. Let's and, see if it happens. And with that, there in mind, we go. See. And with see, that in mind, uh, everybody, uh, we will see you in two weeks with our discussion of Rubber Soul and the go. singles. We can work it out. Day Tripper, or if you prefer, Day Tripper. 
back with We Can Work It Out. And the very last thing I want to say is if you do like this show, please tell a friend and uh, you do all the liking stuff that you do. And especially if you can go on to uh, iTunes and uh, give us a little review, that really helps us out. So really appreciate it. Now that I've yes, talked, let's see if Dave can uh, go through this with not having the last word. I'm going to wrap up the show and we'll see. Will Dave say anything? We'll see. All right, everybody. This has been Completely Beatles. Can Dave go without talking? It's been Completely Beatles. I've been Ian Boothby. Thank you very much for listening. That was Dave Dedrick over there. Completely Beatles. See you later. Bye. Bye, everyone. Ah!